Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Brighton Rock Podcast. The podcast about the beautiful club within the beautiful game. Playing in that beautiful tournament, the FA Cup, this weekend. And we are all excited. Aren't we, Alan Dodd and Andy Bravery? So excited. I'm I'm absolutely buzzing. <laughs> I can't I can't wait. I sounded like <laughs> stated till you carried on with the I have to say though like from from you know from obviously from the um the different WhatsApp groups and on Twitter really, I think there are too many men of a certain age, i.e. my age, that are far too excited at the moment. I think they need to calm down a little bit. Otherwise they're gonna I think they're gonna climax too early. But yeah. yeah. Yeah, you you can't help but I mean you've got to you got you know what it's like as a fan, you've got to live in the moment. In the moment. Yeah. And it's going to be a great. It's going to be a great moment on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of major differences with um, four years ago when we were in the semi-final. Before, I think we felt like fish out of water, unlikely to to win it. Really, just go there, have a party, and if we happen to win out of the blue uh, against a dominant Man City of that season, then so be it. But we no, nobody really believed we'd win it. This year, it feels a bit different. You know, we've got a pretty good chance. We can't say we'll definitely beat them, but we've got a pretty good chance against Man United. And if we do, we get to our first final since 1983. And I didn't go to the original final or its replay. Um, so I'm especially excited for that reason. The other reason to be excited is because um, some of us went to Box Park last year. I don't think either of you two did, did you? But um no. You, along with a load of others, are going. And I think we had a, a good bunch of 20-odd of us there, and a good friends and you know, a couple of people with long, uh, well, relatives around the world who've flown in. Um, Wedge, friend of the show, had his son George flying from Australia and his brother uh, flying from the States. Well, actually, George isn't coming over for this one, but his brother's coming back and a sizable number of other people are getting together in Box Park. We've managed to get tickets a military operation. <laughs> and, um, there's essentially, there's about 45 of us going. I mean, someone was organising some tickets aside from what we did, but we, I think we were getting 36 for, um, you know, for, for serious, seriously up for it fans. And there's going to be the biggest gathering of, well, I don't know, friends of the show, you could call it uh, from podcast point of view. Uh, and it's going to be fantastic. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. You guys are going to be there. 
and many others besides. And I think just that I think the party will be off the scale compared even with four years ago. And as I said, the chance that we might actually win, I feel confident we could, whereas I didn't feel confident we could four years ago. How do you guys feel about it going in? Well, I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking how I'm going to survive from when I arrive at 10.30 at the box park to 4.30 when kickoff starts. Pace yourself. It's all about pacing yourself, yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a, I'm a little bit nervous, uh, a little bit because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's, um, I think we can, we can outplay United. Yeah. If we play, uh, I mean, the way we've been playing recently, you know, we've set up against, well, most recently Spurs and Chelsea. I mean, we can, we could really do some damage. Uh, but it's really a case of how Tem, Den Hag actually, um, sets the team up, uh, yeah. against us really because he, he may, he may think about how he, he may sit back like some of their some of the teams we've actually struggled struggled against. Uh, so let's wait and see. So I'm a little bit nervous, and they have some players who are going to really hurt us potentially. So let's yeah. see. Andy, are you feeling the same? Well, all I can say is that though, at the moment I'm just always excited about seeing Deserby's team play. So I'm just carrying that into the game. I try to mm. um, maintain a more kind of. Um, balanced view these days and I see football as a distraction from life and so you know whatever happens um it, you know it, I'm, I'm I'm out there to like see see a good game of football what I like about Deserby is that we're we're positive you know we're, we're always going to go for it it's a high risk high reward I just hope on the day that we we play well and we do ourselves justice and that if if we don't win it's not due to some dodgy VAR decision but um I think we should all go there feeling optimistic and hopeful. There's no reason why we shouldn't. The way we play football at the moment, we should feel that we can beat them. Like you say, you know, like if we'd beaten Man City four years ago, it would have been hard to know how that was going to happen. It probably would have been a bit of luck. It would have been out of the blue. This won't be out of the blue if we beat them. No. And um, and we may not, we may not beat them, but you know, we might do. And um, we've got plenty of players to call upon who could do it for us. So let's just hope that we turn up on the day and give a good account of ourselves. Yeah. There's a, a famous festive song, uh, I wish it could be Christmas every day, and um, I don't agree with that sentiment at all, because if you make it every day, it's not special. And these sort of cup semi-finals, maybe final afterwards, uh, are what that's all about. But actually, in one sense, I do agree with the sentiment in terms of it feels like Christmas. I feel as excited as a kid every time I go to an Albion game or watch it on TV, knowing how good we may play. Mm-hmm. And I know Man United are a better side than Chelsea. That's that's for sure. The league table tells you all you need to know about that. But after the game at the weekend where we won 2-1 at Chelsea, should have been more, should have had a penalty, by the way, uh, the uh, the um, Pulisic um handball uh just saying <laughs> we still didn't get our decisions in our yeah. life but regardless of that the reports a couple of reports i've got to read out from the uh from the um national papers the guardian match report included some lines where it said um brighton were almost embarrassingly the better side and chelsea are like a 1000 piece jigsaw that when you open the box you find there are 2,500 pieces and the wrong picture on the cover. <laughs> Such a brilliant analogy. And the, and the Tory graph, of course, the telegraph, um, but this is even better. It's, um, it's more simple as well. It says, Lampard stood pensive on the touchline as Brighton and Albion reduced his side to training cones. Funniest <laughs> 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 yeah, and most yeah. damning of all of all yeah, reports yeah. I think I've ever read in in the papers. Yeah. It's brilliant. That's so yeah. good. It does yeah. some 
sum up the dominance, doesn't it? That we are capable of against yeah. so big teams. So yeah, cool. because it, that's right. Because I think uh, I mean I've been reading uh, the last couple of days. I've been talking about the game on on Sunday, and uh, we seem to be the bookies' favourite to uh, favourite to, uh, to to win. But uh, also some of the journalists are kind of talking about the fact that we we probably are the better side at the moment. We could actually we could actually outplay United, but they kind of put this extra caveat, if you like, which is that maybe uh, United may be more experienced and can take the pressure of the big game, whereas their players can't. But actually, I was thinking about that. And if you think about it, you've got something like, you've got experienced players like uh, Dunk, Welbeck, Gross uh, in the side. And then you've got the other players who actually played recently in the World Cup, including the World Cup finalist. So you can't get a bigger pressure game than the World Cup final with McAllister. Then you've got Caicedo and Estupinian who played uh, in, in the World in, in World Cup, and they actually played in the opening game of the World Cup. So that's a pressure game. Mitoma, you know, who, who played in the in in the, in the, um, in the knockout stage of the of the World Cup. So they, they've all played pressure games. So uh, you know, I think we've got a large percentage of the, the team actually, you know, yeah. plays as a big game themselves. So absolutely, uh, yeah. even in terms of penalties, if it goes to penalties, I mean. Uh, Okay, we haven't had any shootouts recently. We're quite good. Our record is quite good on pens. If it goes to that, I'd feel confident. McAllister's been on a good run of form. He wanted to take one during the, uh, the Argentinian um, World Cup winning campaign, and um, he was up for doing it. The only reason he didn't was because he wasn't wasn't told to, wasn't allowed to. Um, mm. So you know, it's not as if they're shying away from these things either. Should the occasion occur, I'm not sure if it'll go to penalties. I think this is getting settled in ninety. I'm not sure it's us necessarily. I'm. Confident it might be, but I'm not completely sure. But this season we've been great. We've we've managed the transition from a managerial change we didn't want, but we're in the long run happy to have. Um, and in 2023, there's been some stats that have just been published. I'll quickly quote a couple of bits from there. There were stats on Premier League goals scored by clubs in this calendar year so far, goals conceded by clubs in the same period, and goal difference. And um, essentially, we're the only team along with Man City, so that's two teams, it's not, we're not the only team at all. Uh, us and Man City are the only ones that are in the top bracket for all three categories. Arsenal have scored the most Premier League goals along with City, 34 each. This was, I, I can't remember if this was before the weekend, I think it was after. Um, yeah, it was after the Liverpool game on Monday. Um, 34 each, Villa 27 actually, and then Brighton 25 with Spurs on 24 Liverpool 23, despite the six goals on Monday, and Brentford and Man U on 20. Goals conceded, we're top, joint top with Man City on 12. Brentford um, are the next best with 14, along with Fulham, Newcastle. Then Villa 15, Chelsea, interestingly, with 16, uh, along with Wolves. And, and only then you get to Arsenal, Liverpool, Man United on 17. And on the goal difference stakes... City have got the best with 22, Arsenal have got plus 17, and then it's us with plus 13, ahead of Villa on plus 12, and Liverpool far behind that. So those stats look great. Um, I mean, it really just confirms what we already know, that we're playing pretty well. Um, Andy Bass, friend of the show, he quoted on one of our WhatsApp groups, we tend not to concede possession in our half these days. One interesting stat that I've been keeping an eye on, he says, is passes in the opposition half, and we are dominating that. He says Chelsea had 100 to our 242. Spurs had 80 to our 242, exactly the same number, coincidentally. Bournemouth had 114 to our 236, and Brentford had 52 to our 300. So, you know, we really are dominating those particular stats, aren't we? Uh, which is quite interesting. Um, also, just quickly from the Chelsea game, 
It's the most shots faced by Chelsea when playing an away side at Stamford Bridge um, since Opta started uh, that game on Saturday, to give you an idea of how dominant we were. Um, and one other thing as well, actually, Chelsea have just made uh, this. I think Kieran, uh, Kieran Maguire posted this during the match. He said, or someone said, Chelsea have just made the most expensive substitution in world history. This was during the game against um, Chelsea, taking off in a single change, Fernandes, 107 million, Fafana, 70 million, Pulisic, 57 million, Sterling, 47.5 million, total of 281.5 million. Uh, they didn't do any good against us, did they? And um, in the meantime, we, uh, we, we made it, made those substitutions worthless and carried on yeah. in our own way. Uh, it's wonderful to watch, isn't it? It was, uh, I mean, the, the, uh, it's one of the Albion games that sticks, will stick in the memory forever. Um, and it's in, it's Caesar's goal was just unbelievable. I mean, I watched it. I was, I was lucky enough. I watched um, a stream on the, on the, on my iPad at home because I wasn't able, unable to go to the game. Mm-hmm. And, uh, basically I when, when, uh, Enciso hit that shot, uh, I think the Albion supporters were jumping up before it even hit the net, which is unbelievable. And, uh, there's been so much, uh, so much uh, stuff posted on social media of the goal in different, from different angles. And also the club have posted something, but there was one quite good one that someone from the crowd took. Which was, I thought was really, really, really good was, uh, when, when he hit the shot, you could see, um, I think it was, uh, Buonanotti, uh, Undav and Andy, Andrew Moran, who were in their kind of vest top warming up. And you could see them watching the goal going. And I think in the middle was, uh, in, uh, Facundo and he kind of put his hands on his head. Oh my God. And then they suddenly <laughs> just went to this excitement of running onto the pitch and. <laughs> to, to where, you know, where in CISO was standing up on the hoardings. It was just an unbelievable. Unbelievable! And I was so envious of you guys who went to the game because uh, you know it was just it was just mad. I mean, it must have been really a really oh, it was good. Great! Thing. And with there's the spawning of a new song, uh, Julio and Ciso song, which I'm not going to attempt to sing now, partly because I can't remember the tune on the off the top of my head. But anyway, um, that was perfect timing for that because of course he was the golden boy scoring that that searing winner, the thunder bastard, as friends of mine have called it. Um, it really was, wasn't it? And what a way to win a game! It's the perfect goal to win a game. Um, I loved all that and. Yeah, Buena Notte. I've got an idea for a song, actually. Buena Notte to the tune of Mona Lisa by Nat King Cole. I'm, oh. I'm working on the details. <laughs> I might get that going at Box Park on Saturday. Yeah. And speaking of which, this is the big preview to the the big semi-final at the weekend. Coming up later on, we're going to speak to Sanjay from Kick It Out, who we've had on before. He's a Man United fan, so we want to speak to him and get his views on how the season's going. Um, before that, we'll be speaking to Albion legend of the 80s, Gordon Smith. And Smith must score. But he didn't. But he did. <laughs> we'll be talking to him coming up very shortly. Before we do that, one or two other quick bits I wanted to talk about, uh, just to get a bit of admin and bits out of the way. Um, there was an article uh, by Alan Razor Jambach this week. I don't know if you guys saw it. Interesting. Uh, not not very favourable in the Graham Potter stakes. He said during uh, his interview on Football 360 with Adele Fedusipur, I think it's pronounced. I'm guessing he's probably Turkish from that name. Anyway, um, just to quickly quote it and see what you guys think. He said, the summer after my first season at Brighton, I had the opportunity to move clubs. However, Graham Potter told me that he counted on me and wanted me in the team. So I stayed during the season. However, it was clear that he bought the players that he wanted and that fit his system. So I spent a lot of time on the bench. One time after the COVID break, I went into his office and asked him to allow me to travel and see my family since I hadn't seen them for a long time. 
if he was not to include me in the player list again. He told me that he counted on me since I'd been training well and told me that I had the chance to play as well. The next day, though, I was left out of the player list. Uh, I presume he means the full squad. Um, this happened many time, many more times, even to the point where my teammates asked me why he was treating me this way. I had no idea why he was doing this to me since I never disrespected him. I confronted him one time on the training ground and asked him that if his treatment towards me was due to me having an Iranian passport or if someone from higher up in the club had told him to keep me out of the matchday squads, he told me that I could be demoted to the under-21 team if I wasn't happy with him. We solved our issues with each other afterwards, though, and I got more playtime. I only wish him uh, wish for the best for Graham and hope he succeeds at Chelsea. This is obviously before he was sacked. Um, and he said he is very a very good coach tactical-wise. However, I don't think he's good at man management. The thing he's famed for, the emotional intelligence. I don't want to keep hanging on to the old Potter stuff, but I thought it was an in- interesting thing. It's only just come out this week, so I wanted to flag it up. And any quickly, any thoughts on that, guys? Well, from my point of view, I thought Potter gave him quite a lot of opportunities. I just don't think he ever quite took them myself. Yeah, personally, I don't think he was quite. I don't think he quite had it. To be honest with you, it was quite no. often when he got he picked up the ball and he, he kind of just walked into blind alleys or he couldn't get past the first yeah. man, things like that. So maybe he didn't handle the scenario as well as he could possibly. But I agree with you overall. I, I think, think yeah, something wasn't quite clicking, was it? I think as well. Oh, you know, Potter kind of inherited, didn't he? Those three players really that kind of came in and and didn't do it um, for Hugh, and you know, of which Yovan Kabash was one of them, you know, and um, along with Lacardia, um, as well. And I, I just, I just think that like they, they, they just weren't good enough. We spent quite well a relative amount of money, but at that point, and they just weren't good enough for the division. And I don't think any coach was going to get any more out of them, quite frankly. And the fact that um, Certainly, those two have kind of, you know, have almost kind of faded away, haven't they? I mean, he didn't even play in the rain in the Iran team in most of the games of the World Cup. Mm-hmm. I don't think he's always in the. Is it Feyenoord he's at, isn't he? I don't think he's always in the Feyenoord team. Yeah. You know, and and Lucardia, Well, I mean, he's more of a DJ than he's a footballer now. So <laughs> you know, I, I just think that. I just think as a coach, there comes a point really in the end where like, you've got to you've got to make a decision and, and ship him out. Really, I mean, and Andoni was another one. Um, he didn't cost a lot in the end, but we nearly spent twenty million quid on him allegedly. You know, yeah. I mean, he and he got rid of all of them. He got rid of all of them in the end, and I and I think it was the right thing to do. Yeah, I think it was one of it's one of the earlier <laughs> phases of uh, our recruitment recent history wasn't it where things weren't quite clicking every time you know you've got Licardia you've got Johan Batch you've got certain other players that didn't quite work certain loans like Chupa Akpom that didn't quite work actually although he's doing rather well this year he's got 29 goals in all competitions for Middlesbrough but but yeah there were there were a few that didn't quite work but I think we're getting it right very very regularly now and I think we're on the right path aren't we and let's hope um, that can continue this weekend um loan wise things are still going well we've um we've got obviously we, we've, we've been doing well with players that we've loaned out and then brought into the team like Ben White like Mitama um and and players like that um at the moment and obviously Mitama was on loan last year uh, I noticed Kozlowski scored um for his team on loan this week as well which was good to see um I think Andy Zakiri's still doing all right at Barsworth. I think he might have had a couple of injuries. I'm not sure. Um, but yes. one player that's getting a lot of uh, mention is, um, is of course Simon Adingra, who is uh, to quote somebody on 
I think on Twitter. Or is it on Twitter? No, it's not. It's on a website. I can't see what it says now. It says Brighton have a gem to work with next season. Simon Adingra, brackets, 21 years old, close brackets, has been doing bits with, doing bits. This is so modern parlance, isn't it? This Doing bits with USG out on loan. Uh, 26 goals and assists so far this season. The forward also scored against... Uh, again today versus Sarang. This is from a few days ago. Thirteen goals, thirteen assists, to be precise. Um, he's looking. I'm, I'm hearing a few things actually about him. He's looking like a real prospect, and we may have done it again. So players that we sign in and put straight in, like Enciso, players that we put out on loan, like Mitama and Adingra. You know, we're hitting all the all the notes, aren't we? We just got to get it all together. Um, Anyway, yes. So one final thing I was going to mention as well. Graham Phillips, friend of the show, his son Jack's been on the pod a few times. He popped out a quiz, a quiz to some of us. I think it was on our um, our pod group, wasn't it, actually? Um, saying that by his reckoning, I'm going to slightly adapt his wording to, to make it more clear. He said, by his reckoning, three historical league teams uh, and only one current 92 that we have played uh, that we have not been able to win at. So we're talking about teams that were in the 92 at the time when we played them and we failed to beat them away from home. There's only three teams, apparently. I, I presume you guys read this, so you already know the answers to this. So, yeah, you're, Andy's nodding. Alan, you're nodding as well? I can't. I'm going to leave that hanging until the end of this, <laughs> this long preview. So, essentially, we're talking about teams Brighton have played when they were in the 92 and when we were in the 92 in a, in a league match sides that we played away from home and never won at. Apparently, according to Graham, there's three of them. I've got no reason to think he's wrong on this either. There's three of them. One of them is in the Premier League, and two of them are very much not in the 92 anymore. Um, have a think about that, boys and girls, and um, I will try to remember to mention this at the end of the preview. <laughs> in the meantime, um, Andy and Alan, thank you for joining me for the preview, uh, the, well, the precursor to the preview. Now we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to speak to Gordon Smith, no less. Absolutely delighted to welcome back to the podcast uh, an Albion legend, a man who was uh, prominent in the 80s with us and not least in the FA Cup final where we played Manchester United. This weekend, of course, we're playing the semi-final against Manchester United and it seemed appropriate timing to get him back onto the podcast. We had him on a couple of years before and it's a very warm welcome back to Gordon Smith. Hello, Gordon. Hello, Russell. How are you? Very well, thanks. It's, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, you. We're also... Joined here by um, by Alan and by Andy Bravery um, for a four-way chat in the run-up to the big game at the weekend. Um, mm -hmm. So thanks very much for joining us, Gordon. Um, first of all, before we get into the, the FA Cup stuff, um, when we had you on before, I think we were talking about Michael Robinson, who sadly passed away at the time, and um, we talked a bit about the FA Cup. <laughs> I think we might have to do that again. We'll minimise the you-know-what conversation uh, <laughs> as much as we can. Yeah. <laughs> um, although we might have to touch on it. But um, just a quick sort of summary of your time with the Albion. I mean, you you were with us for – how long were you with us? And, and just, how, just, under, just under four years. I signed uh, from Rangers in 1980, and it was a strange one because I actually went down to speak to Alan Mollery, but only as a favour – well, not favour, but John Gregg asked me to go and speak to him. He didn't want to sell me, he said. So I went down just to speak to Alan Mollery. No intention of signing for Brighton. This is true. 
And uh, the conversation went on, and the wages kept going up and up and up. And I kept saying no. <laughs> and, then, and then I hadn't realised that the, the assistant manager of Rangers had come with me. He then told me, we went for lunch. Al Molly said, go and have lunch. We went for lunch, and he said to me, uh, that's good money you're on there getting off our Gordon. I went, I know that's unbelievable, isn't it? And he said, uh, I don't know what I should tell you now. He says, we thought you would take it. The deal's done. And I went, what do you mean the deal's done? He said, we've accepted the fee. And <laughs> we're telling you. So I phoned Rangers Football Club. I got a hold of the manager, John Gregg, and I said, What's good? he goes, you better go. He said, the deal's done. I didn't know it was a record fee they got for me. And I said, well, that's not what you told me. And he said, well, that's it. If you don't go, I'll make your life hell. That's what he said to me. <laughs> now, what was unbelievable. I, I went back to Alan Mullen and says, OK, I've signed. Now, I met John Gregg uh, subsequently after that, and I said, there's two things I'm going to say to you. One was, uh, you're an absolute disgrace what you did to me that day. I said, but thank you, because I've enjoyed my time at Brighton, and I'm enjoying it greatly, which I did. I had a, I had a great spell down here at the club. Uh, four years in total, I was nearly there, but I really did enjoy it. Most of the, the sort of great memories I've got and uh, football are from my, my time at Brighton because it was amazing because because we were all signed from different clubs, really. We all came down to live there and basically we all lived within about a mile of each other. We were so close. So there was a, much, a great team spirit, camaraderie that was there. I mean, I used to, I, I, people laughing, I tell them this, I used to walk to a match on a Saturday uh, home game at the Goldson because my house was five-minute walk from the stadium. We all, nearly all of us lived in Hove and I lived beside Brian Horton and Peter Ward. And I used to walk to the stadium. So that's how that's how great it was. It was it was a great atmosphere, lovely place to live. And as I say, I enjoyed my time thoroughly coming down to Brighton. Excellent. Whereabouts did you live when you were down there? Were you um in Hope. Yeah, I was Hope Hope Park, just off there. It was new houses that had just been built just the other side of Hope Park. And I, I was living there. Andy, do you want to come in on that? Yes. All I was gonna say was I um because Brian Horton says much the same about living in Brighton and Peter Ward. And um, I used to play, uh, when I was a, a youth player, I used to play for Hope Park Colts. And I used to sometimes see Peter Ward walking his dog. He said, a massive, a massive dog, yeah. for what I remember. He used to be playing football. We got already excited about seeing a Brighton player. <laughs> so, yeah, you literally must have just walked through Hope Park and there you were at the Goldstone Ground. Ten-minute walk. That was yeah. it. It was these new houses that were just the other side. And, and as I say... Uh, Brian Horton was there first. Peter Ward was living right in the very edge of it. He was the first one, but I was just around the corner from there. And I used to walk to the match with, and even training in those days. We went to the uh, the, the Goldson for training as well and all that sort of thing. And when you look at the, the two stadiums, what a contrast now. The new stadium yeah. is fantastic. I mean, that was really an old style uh, football ground. And, and a lot of them nowadays I've actually had to renew completely or even move away. I mean, most of the clubs, even I played against it, I mean, I was a Man City player. That's not in Main Road anymore. You know what I mean? And then the, the semi-finals at Ivory, it's not there now. So a lot of the places are just are gone totally. And the Goldson really had to be completely refurbished, renewed, or as it happened, it was a sad scenario what happened to the Goldson at the time because the club were were sold off and, and then had to move. Uh, you know, played it with, They played it with Dean, didn't they, for quite a, a few years as well. All that yeah. was quite sad, you know. And then obviously now uh, things have picked up greatly and it's great to see the club are in a very healthy uh, condition at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, things have changed enormously. I, I presume you've, you've been down, you've seen the Amex, have you? Uh, oh, yeah. I've been down a few times at the games, yeah. Um, I came down a couple of years ago, I came down, my daughter was born here, and she, she had a party, a birthday party, a 40th birthday party. Uh, so we went to the Amex and took in the game with my grandson, and, and uh, Tony Bloom was really nice, he got me hospitality, Stuff like that, and then I went out, did a question answer. 
before the game on the on the field did a draw for them and sort of thing. So I've been well treated by the people at Brighton because I say I have got a good connection with the club and I'll never ever forget you know the happy memories I had there. Oh, fantastic. And there were certainly plenty of happy memories. Um, it's my formative years supporting the club, and I know um, more or less the same kind of um, category for Andy and uh, for Alan as well. Um, and uh, I think you know, it, was, it was a great era, and, and now we're back to where we were before in terms of top flight. I've got to ask you, um, what have you made of the uh, the team? You must have seen a, a certain amount of at least of highlights of games and maybe some live games of us. I mean, this is incredible, the football we're playing at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, I've been very impressed. I think that, uh, you know, that, that's the great thing about getting into this semi-final. A little bit more, it's not quite as relaxed as we were because we were we went into the final uh, in uh, 1990-83. We were actually pretty relaxed because we were total underdogs. This time, it's not like that. I mean, the, the Albion would be considered by many people, and myself included, have a real chance and can win this game because the football they're playing has been outstanding. And a lot of the players have really been putting it in for the team and, and playing really well. So there's no doubt about it. This is a strong side that, that Brighton have at the moment. And I like the, I like their style of football. The MX, MX is a great stadium and all that. But the thing is that, you know, the, the, the team have actually been developing well this season as well. They've actually been, you know, even away from home, getting good results and all that sort of thing. I mean, they sold Trossard, which was a bit of a surprise, but obviously they get very good money from him. But they miss him a little bit. He would have been a key player as well. But when the time comes along and you have to take a massive fee, then, you know, you do it. And that's that's why he's away. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny because I'm, I'm sure Andy and Alan would agree with this, that when we went to the semi-final four years ago, um, playing under Chris Hewton, Chris Hewton had a very sort of cagey, careful style, trying to stay in games and all that, which was suitable for the time. But he was coming just to the end of his period. And um, that was in his final season. We got to the semi-final. Yeah. And Man City were on fire, as they are now. And there was very much a feeling of we're just going to go here, have a party, enjoy ourselves, expect yeah. nothing from the game. Pretty much as Grimsby fans said of us when they yeah. came out to the Amex of the last round. And it really was like that. And in the end, it was a close score, but it never really felt like it was a, a full, full-on competition. It yeah. doesn't feel like that this year. For, for everyone I've spoken to, it feels like this is business. We're here. We're not, we're not here for anything other than to. Well, we are going to have a party actually, but yeah. um, but we're we're here to win the game. Um, totally. We want to win it. We can win it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. I think that I think that you look at the two sides and you say, I mean, I, I've been more impressed with Brighton this season than I have been with Manchester United. So, and the other side of it as well, it's quite interesting the fact that Manchester United are playing tonight. You know, yeah. having a, a game tonight, and then you know, who knows? They might get one or two injuries. They're flying back. They might be a tiredness scenario there. Who knows how they're going to be when they actually have to take on, uh, you know, Brighton on Sunday, who are in really top form. So I think that's a little bit of an advantage that we're getting from that. The fact is that they, they can win this game. So I, I honestly believe that that's why, that, that, that no matter what anybody thinks, I mean, I'm sure that even this time, a lot of the Manchester City fans will be quite nervous about this because they, they will think that of all the teams that could have got at this stage, they're playing one of the informed teams and, and players who are playing really well. I mean, they've got top-class players in, in the team at the moment. So I think that's that's a big issue, and I think that's why uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think that they will get a real chance. Yeah, and they've already picked up some injuries, especially in defence. So who knows how that's going to pan out. Andy, um, you're going to pick up on that point about yeah. our absolute <clears throat> to this. Yeah, I was just going to say that as the season's progressed, the expectations of the levels have really gone up. You know, and, and the team haven't let us down, have they? I mean, I mean, and when you look at the teams we play against, often I think there's 
there's, there's a lot of our players who would get into their team, whoever it's against, the top teams. So I think we go, I mean, when we, we, um, when we beat Liverpool in the cup, I expected us to beat them that day, you know, and, um, and here we go again. I mean, I think it was going to, hopefully it's going to be a good open game and a few goals and that we end up on top and we go back to Wembley for the final. Yeah. I mean, beat Liverpool was, was tremendous. I mean, that was a, that was a great, a great win that day, no doubt about it. I mean, we were, we were about the same, to be fair. With that, when we had a cup run, we weren't getting much luck in our in our league games. I'm not joking. We, we actually we we got relegated that season, but we didn't deserve to in terms of how we played. We were better than, than the results were showing. And but we actually, when it came to the cup matches, it was a different story. We actually were getting the breaks in the cup. And it's quite strange that, you know, I tell people, I was telling people something about it today. I said that the only game we played against a lower division team was in the semi-final that year. You know, we, we actually knocked out Newcastle, Liverpool, Manchester City, Norwich, and then got Sheffield Wednesday in the semi, who were a, a, a league below us. So, and, and then Manchester City in the final, obviously, too. But that, that just shows you that that was a great run for us and beating all those teams. And yet in the league, we weren't getting the breaks. And, and I think that's what... The big difference was we got the breaks when it came to the, the cup run. and uh, But this this season, the, the Albion team are playing really well in the league matches because the, I think even games when the, when the draws, the, in my opinion, they're the better team most of the time. They're outplaying teams. They're, they play a very, very intense style of football now. And it looks like that you know they're very, as was mentioned earlier on, Chris Hooten was manager. He was, he was quite defensive. He was a bit like the difference between Mike Bailey and Alan Mulloway, Alan Mulloway was more attacking in style than when Mike Bailey took over at Brighton. He was very, very defensive. Just all of us. I mean, he used to say before a game, you know, nil nil will do me today, boys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I was always a bit disappointed with that, you know. That I didn't want yeah. like, I'm going out here for a nil nil draw. The manager's going to be happy with that. You know, I don't, that's no ask me football. You should be going to try and win the games. And that's exactly what this current Albion team are doing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the extra step up, isn't it? I think the fact that we're flying higher and we're much more confident as a team. And as you said, that analogy is very good about the, the Mike Bailey and uh, Alan Munnery thing. I think that's that's to a pretty good degree pretty true, isn't it, I think? Yeah. And we're in a better position going into this and we can relax into it in one sense. You know, it's a different competition. We don't have the relegation hanging over us, which we were worried about under Chris Hewton um, yes. in that last season as well. And uh, it, it bodes well. Um I'm going to ask you in a minute about your, your favourite memories of that cup run, but I also should warn you at this stage as well, Alan has prepared, I think he's got a couple of things up his sleeve, he's going to, he's going to spring <laughs> yeah. on you, I should just warn you uh, before we finish the chat. Um, but, but I don't know if he's got one already, or, or shall, we, shall I ask uh, Gordon about the, um, the cup run itself, first of all? I was, well, I was, just going to, I was just going to say that uh, you, uh, you, you, you're, you're a legend because you're one of, one of the players who scored against Palace, so we're always so happy about uh, players who scored against Palace. <laughs> Oh yes. yeah. I one, actually, I've got I've got that in film. Somebody sent me that. Uh, I was one of my one of my best goals I scored was against Palace. It was a league game and we we won uh, we won there. It was it was a, we were in relegation trouble at that point as well. Yeah. And we went to Palace and won. We, I think we won three nil or three one. Yeah, it's across across from uh, Gary Williams and another goal by you. Yeah, yeah. I was very pleased with that goal. But uh, as I say, I, I, the biggest shock I got this year was when I got I got notification of the fact that that, that when Trossard scored the hat trick at, at Anfield, that the last hat trick at the top level had been me in in 1980 against Coventry City. That oh, yeah, that's right. I, I remember that. I, I remember listening to that on the radio, and, uh, and it was amazing. Yeah. 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 I couldn't believe it. I was like, "You're joking!" I, 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 people said, "No, it was in it was in the 
in, in the newspapers that, that the last hat trick at the top level was myself, so, and I couldn't believe it was that long since somebody had done it. <laughs> Well, that's, that's that's a great stat actually, and um, um, the fact that you scored against Palace, by the way, that is hugely uh, hugely yeah. respected by all Albion fans. Always, oh, I was very pleased with that goal. <laughs> with, with, the, with, with your cup run then in '83, and also in in general for your time with the Albion, what what are your happiest memories? What are the things that stood out the most? Would you say obviously the cup final itself must do, but in yeah. general. I think I think it stood out. I think a few things. I think that little it was quite interesting that because that season with Alan Muller, the first season there, we actually were, we were in relegation trouble and we sat down and had a meeting. And it was quite funny because the players actually said at the meeting that they, they should put me back in a, a sort of free role just off the street. as like a, a, the number ten role, as they call it. And that's where I'd started the season playing there, and then it had been changed around. And Alan Muller agreed and said, "That's what we'll do. We'll go back to that." And we actually won the last four games of that season, uh, two away and two at home. One of them was against Palace. So that was a great little run just to do that. And I, I was very disappointed when Alan Mulvey, just after that last game, then I found out that he'd resigned and left the club because I, I liked playing for him. He was, he was great to play for and great manager. I think that, you know, we missed him greatly when he went away. So I was very sorry about that. But I think that the main, other things were that, I think the main thing was the fact that the cup run, uh, was a special time for us because, as I say, it wasn't working out that well in the league. But see, the supporters, you wouldn't have known we got relegated that season in 1983 because all the, the whole interest and all the talk was totally 100% about the cup final because it was almost like we, it was a celebration getting through in the semi-final because that, that was when everybody started to go crazy about it in the town, everywhere about Sussex. It was just all about the fact the fact was where they get the final to come. It's amazing. All the shops had stuff, memorabilia and all that in it already. And then we, we made the record. And if, if you look back at it, actually, I, I was on top of the pops on the Thursday night. <laughs> with the finals on the Saturday, and I was on top of the pops. <laughs> I think I remember that. Yeah, I remember it. Promoting our song. Right? Now, they couldn't play the song. This is an instant fact. They couldn't play the song because they, they, they then said to us, when we're on, we're just about to go on stage. We can't play your song. It can't go in the charts because it's all regional sales, and it has to be national sales to be in the charts. And oh. I say, well, really, there must be a lot of songs that are maybe regional because the the, the artists are from. They said, no, we can't play your song, so they couldn't play it. But we were on getting interviewed, so that was the Thursday night. The Friday we went away and and, and I stayed in a hotel and we had a lovely night, a meal together, and then Bob the Cat Bevan uh, entertained us that night. He gave us a talk. And then the next day, we flew by helicopter to Wembley, mm-hmm. uh, which no one else had ever done before. The, the, the club, no other team had ever gone there. We couldn't get onto the pitch, so we had to go and stop in a school and then eventually get buses into Wembley. But that's how, that's how we got to the final. So it was, it was an amazing occasion. It wasn't just that one day. The whole thing, the build-up for the whole thing was actually from basically the semi-final win. Hmm. Yeah. And what an occasion. I, yeah, remember, I didn't go to the, the final myself. I was, um, I think I was 11 at the time. I, I don't yeah. know if I did something wrong or the dad just couldn't get tickets. I'm not sure. But Mr. <laughs> watched it at home. And I remember the Sussex being so empty. There was hardly anyone seemed to be yeah. around. I, I was a Worthing boy. So, but it, everyone seemed to have traveled up to the game from, from Worthing. And watching it on TV, though, it just creates a sense of, of magic and now nostalgia as well. Yeah. And it's, it's for, for any fans of my age or older that, Either were at the game or saw it on TV. It sort of still sits there as this thing that's the, the, the nagging, so close, nearly got there, 
and we've been looking for a chance to to really to win our first major trophy ever yeah. since. And it'd be great if this season we could put that to bed. It might actually ease the pain for you as well, Gordon, with the uh, yeah. the aforementioned unmentionables. Uh, <laughs> we'll make stop talking about it if, if, we, if we win it. You're right. <laughs> that, that would, I, I really hope to God that we do win it because that would take that away from me. But it just shows you there. I mean, it might be it might be possible because in terms of stats, if I if I'm not the last hat trick anymore. That was Trossard did that. This could yeah. take away the factors that my miss could be forgotten as you know, as as Albion beat United and win the FA Cup. I would be so delighted with that to see that because that would say would stop people talking about me. And I hope nobody misses the last <laughs> last minute chance like, as well. But I've imagined uh, yeah. a two all draw with a last minute chance now, and oh, you'd be smiling to yourself when if that happens. Mm. Oh, God, I'd be saying to myself, I know how that chap's going to have to deal with us for the next 40 years, you know. But as I say, I, I, uh, I just found, I'd played, I'd played in six cup finals in Scotland and never experienced anything like an FA Cup final, to be honest with you. But, but it's not quite the same now. I'll tell you why. In those days, it was probably the biggest club match in world football. There's no mm-hmm. mean. It was like shown all over the world that game. And as I say, I, I've told the story before. I'll tell you guys again. I was I was three years later I was in Kuala Lumpur with Manchester City and it was a little lad coming round. We were all sunbathing at the hotel. Little lad was coming round for the autographs. He gave me his book. I signed it. I gave him it back. And he said, "Oh, you're Gordon Smith." And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "How are you missing cup final?" Stop it! This not great. Here we go again. Oh. I, thought, I thought if this is Kuala Lumpur, it's not exactly going to get forgotten in Brighton. <laughs> or anywhere else in this country, and it's it's a lot of times my name comes up. It's the first thing people say is like, "Oh, you're the guy that missed in the uh, cup final." <laughs> it's, it's famous because even even one the, the the FA once or BBC was did a a thing about all the history of the FA Cup finals and all that sort of thing, and it was all and it was nearly I think probably ninety nine percent was all just goals, famous goals, but they showed my effort as well because it was the timing of it. Do you know what I mean? It was a, it wasn't a, it was a bad miss. I have to agree to that and admit it. And I'm so sorry about it. But it was basically because of the timing of it, last minute of extra time when a team who, like Brighton can win their first ever trophy. Yeah, I was just going to say the same thing. Exactly, the timing was everything. If it if it's earlier in the game, it's it's much more easily forgotten. It would be forgotten. Yeah. As indeed was the goal you did score. Of course, we've mentioned this before. But you did score goal. in the final. <laughs> That's yeah. not. I know it does get. It's quite funny because as soon as we walked off at half time, it walked off. Uh, there was a big screen up with the score, and it was like you know Manchester United nil, Brighton one, and uh, my name was underneath it. And I thought, well, at least I'm going to be remembered for today. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it was. It was. I'm going to remember for something else. But there you go. Yeah. It was a super. It was a super goal. It was a lovely cross by Howlett to you, and uh, it's a lovely header. You know, you cushioned the cushioned the header well. You picked it up and across the. In front of uh, Bailey, it was a beautiful into the far corner. Really good. Thank you. Yeah. Andy? Yeah, I was just going to say, so Gordon, I was at the semi-final. I mean, I remember the excitement on the way home that we were going to Wembley. I mean, this was it. We were, you know, like we were finally going to go to the FA Cup final and went to both both games at um, at Wembley. So, and, I, and I can, you know, I, I can still visualise the moment the moment when when um, the ball didn't go in the goal, and, and we spoke about it at Seagulls over London, and I was quite struck when I spoke to you because you'd, you'd said that you know at the time, and and afterwards as a player you didn't really dwell on it too much because you had your career to carry on with. But I, I, I'm sure you said something along the lines of, 
But afterwards, over the years, you almost became more regretful of the fact that you didn't manage to score. Whereas I think if that is the case, in another way as a fan, I kind of made my piece a long way before before that and just sort of valued all the goals that you did score for us. And it just wasn't going to happen that day. No, you're, you're spot on with it. You're absolutely right. I, I was able to deal with it. Um, as a footballer, I just thought, well, OK, I, I missed that chance. I should have done better. You got, but I, I was getting on with my career. You're absolutely right. I was able to take it a lot easier then. And I think the fact was, I think because I'd scored a winning goal in a cup final in Scotland helped a bit. And that, it took that away from me. You know, I said, well, I've done that. I could have done it again. But I, you know, it wasn't as if I'm only ever won in my career. So I scored a winning goal in a final. But this was special to me, the Brighton one. And that's why it, it hurt me. As, a, as my football career finished, I stopped playing. Regardless, and I know everyone, the fact was it gets mentioned so often. It's never, it never gets forgotten by the public as such. But it also hurts me more than ever because I feel bad. The people I let down that day was the supporters, the fans all there, the, the management and the, my teammates. They were, and they were all great about it. Everybody was never, people held in against me about it. Everybody was good, but mm-hmm. I feel bad about it. I don't feel sorry for myself. I just feel that I, I, angry with myself that I did not score that day. And it was amazing that it was the 25th anniversary a few years ago. And it was one of the loveliest things ever. Jimmy Case uh, was getting interviewed. I think it was Des Lynham was interviewing Jimmy. And he said, oh, what about Gordon's miss in the final and all that? And Jimmy Case said, uh, he says, see of all the players I played with in my career, if I wanted to put somebody in that position to score a winning goal, it would have been Gordon. That's what Jimmy Case actually said. Now, I was so touched by that because I just thought, even if he didn't mean it, but to say that, was a lovely thing for him to say. I mean, as a guy who played with Ian Rush and mm. Kendall Leash and all that, and that's what he actually said that that night. And it was it was one of the loveliest things ever. And that's why I've always appreciated the, the sort of response I've had from the fans and and my teammates and everybody else about it because I just felt I should have done better. I, it was something that I you know normally would have put in the net. I, th- I still say that to this day. I don't feel it. there's no excuses for it. It was a bad miss, but. Uh, as I say, it's how I feel. I don't feel sorry for myself. It's how I feel for other people. Let's face it, though, Gordon. I mean, God bless he's not here anymore, but on a normal day, I don't think Robinson would have passed you anyway. <laughs> he would have tried to score himself. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a shock. Because, well, you'll remember, you'll remember the semi-final, actually. I, I, yeah. uh, I went through, I had a shot, the goalkeeper saved it. I then took it past the goalkeeper, and Robbo got, came across to get in my way. Yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> you watch the footage, I'm actually shouting at him as he hits it in the net. He puts in the net and you go, ah, okay, he scored right. But I always, that's true. I, I, mean, I remember saying to him after the game, I says, Robbo, I says, he took that off me. He goes, well, I, I was in a better position. I had to do it, Gordon. So that, that was why in the cup final thing, I said, I got, the biggest shock I got was the fact you passed to me. I said, yeah. that was what put me off a little bit. <laughs> I, was actually, I was thinking he was going to shoot in the goalkeeper. I thought, if the goalkeeper saves this, I'll, I'll maybe get the rebound. I wasn't expecting a pass, to be honest with you. But I don't blame Robbo. I mean, Robbo, no, no. Did, Robbo did the right thing. So, uh, great guy to play with, great, yeah. great person. But as, as I'm saying, I mean, I, I, I got but a few papers voted me the man of the match in the semi-final. So, I had a great feeling about that. The fact is that I'd, I'd you know, played a big part in helping us get there. The semi-final was a, was a great win for us. And, and the actual, I mean, I was, as I said before, I played in six semi-finals in Scotland. I played in seven. I got lost one when I was at Kamara. I played in seven in total, but I'd never experienced anything like getting getting through that game and what the response was like 
in the city and all that. It was unbelievable. It's just, it was like, it was almost like as if the final was just something to turn up for a bit of an occasion. We're already, we're already achieved something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. Yeah. It's part of the Albion folklore. And uh, at the end of the day, you still had another bite of the cherry in the, in the replay. So uh, yeah, unfortunately that didn't quite go so well, but uh, you know, no, we had no, another chance. Replay. I, I, this is what I was going to say, Alan, I once watched the replay and uh, I, it was, this was years later. I got uh, somebody gave me footage of it, gave me a, a, a cassette player to watch it. And then watch the first game again, but watch the replay. And you know what? If you actually watch it, we don't deserve. We lost. We lost bad goals at certain times, but we did not deserve to be beaten no. to three 0 at half time. We were actually right in the game. We mm-hmm. we were as good as Man United were in the second game. But then, then as I say, we lost bad goals and went at half time. Now I couldn't believe we're sitting in at half time, three 0 down, and and we were not been playing badly. And and most of us were probably. Realising at that point, this is this is probably beyond us here to try and pull this back today. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm wondering what you thought about because um, obviously it's a different world back then in terms of what you could get away with doing the white side challenge on Ramsey, and they scored one of their goals, didn't they, while he was off the pitch? How do you feel about those sort of things looking back? I suppose you just take it as part of the part of the era, do you? No, it's a good point because I, I was talking to a guy today. Burning off, who does a, he does a podcast called uh, Football for Football. I don't know if, if you've seen it. Football, and it's a number four football. It's a fantastic big podcast he does. And I was talking to him. He was having an interview, and he knows, uh, you know, Chris Ramsey as well. And and I said to him, I said, well, I said, speak to him about this because I agree with what you've just said there. A normal circumstance, even in those days when you were allowed to tackle a lot more than you are now, even in those days, that should have been a red card. It yeah. should have been a red card. The, the tackle on him was a disgrace. And he was struggling at the point when they scored the equaliser at the back post. It was because he was limping up, couldn't get back to, to defend that. Now, yeah. there's a, a good example of how one of the goals were lost was because the, the referee let Norman Whiteside away with a shocking tackle. Today, it would probably have been 100%. Even VAR wouldn't even need to look at it nowadays to say that was a, an ordering off. But if you watch it again, it was a shocking tackle. Yeah, well, Vard, I'd normally look at our incidents, actually, Gordon, especially the <laughs> 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 So that, that would fit the, fit the bill. We, we have got a history of bad decisions with Man United, um, a lot yeah. of them more recently. I won't go over them again because I've moaned about them <laughs> on yeah. the podcast. Well, but that we, was yeah, we, we've got um, we've got one thing in our favour is they they've got a lot of injuries, especially in defence. I'm um, yes. not sure if they'll get any further damage from tonight's game as we speak Thursday night. Um, but on the upside, um, they've got VAR in their favour, probably. That's the way yeah. it's going to go. Um, it's very difficult to see how it's going to go, this game. Um, but um, have you got a suggestion on what, how you think it might pan out? It's going to be a close I, game. I, I, just think, I, I just think that the, the players that uh, Albion have now can cause them a lot of problems. You know, they've got a, a strong midfield. You know, you've got, like, uh, you know, you've got McAllister in there as well. Uh, Lalana's in there, Gross. You know, March. These are guys that can all contrib- contribute. I love little Matomo. Matoma. I think mm. he is a tremendous asset to the team. You know, I mean, every time I watch him, I think that's great to watch that that kid. Uh, he's just uh, he, he's he can, he's an individualist player. He can actually turn the game on his own because he can run and beat people yeah. and score goals and create. So he's he's big. Wellbeck will probably play, but uh, and uh, young lad Ferguson. Um, I'm pretty sure that he will be a real candidate because I think he is going to be a top player. He'll be another massive signing at some time for when he leaves Brighton. There's no doubt about it. The big clubs will be in for him. 
Yeah, he's unfortunately, I think he's not going to be quite fit enough after a knock at the uh, weekend. Yeah, he's going to miss that game, but hopefully he'll be back for the final. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, yeah, I was going to talk about it. When I was at the SFA, uh, I was, when I was chief exec there, I tried to change the rule that if a booking got you uh, put out a final, right, I tried to change that because I think that's a disgrace because Steve Forster, it was a booking he got in the semi-final against Sheffield Wednesday and he couldn't play in the final. Now, my point about the whole thing was, if I, and, and this, I, didn't get, I didn't get it through. They, they were arguing with me, all the, 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 the so-called like directors of the SFA. I said, a, a booking, if you get booked, it can, if it's, see if it's wrong, you can't appeal a booking. So you can, you, a booking could stop you playing in the only cup final of your whole career, and it's a and it's a mistake, you know what yeah. I mean? And and you can't play. So that, that happened to Foz, and he couldn't play in the first game. So I tried to get that through the SFA because I think it is a disgrace that that is a, that is a rule. And what I said was, I said, see if a player gets booked in the semi final, he should be banned maybe for the next season's cup first three rounds or whatever, so that it's a it's a heavier sentence, but. He doesn't miss a final because that's that shouldn't happen. Yeah, I mean, someone's gone and red, gone in with a straight red offence. That's a different matter because they're yeah. the fault then, isn't it? But with yellow, you can appeal, very, you can appeal a red card though. You know, yeah, you, you can appeal it, and and it's also it's, it can be quite harsh on yellows. There's yeah. there's different ways you can get yellows, isn't there? It could be an accumulated one as well, which would be even more infuriating actually if yeah. you've had a number of niggly 50-50s, but I, I agree, it really winds me up in, during the league season as well, how we, we get accumulated yellows, and you think, well, we've now got a two-match suspension for someone, maybe, uh, uh, at some point later this season, Casado might end up on, on 10, um, and then we could miss two games, crucial yeah. games, uh, just from a, a number of these yellows are not, just not the right decisions, quite honestly, and you can't appeal them, as you said, and it could cost you within a match as well. If you get a player sent off for two yellows in, say, the first half, and one or both of them are harsh, yeah. then you, you know, he's missing the second half and the next game. Can't appeal that either um, for what could be a poor decision. Yeah, frustrating. Right. Um, I know you've got to go soon, Gordon, but just a couple of, I've, I've got one question for you as well. Um, and I know Alan might have a couple of questions because we want to go back to those days and... Um, I don't know if your everyone's diets sort of change over time. Um, have you got the question, Alan, about uh, food and what your yeah. favourite food was at the time? According to you, Gordon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I was uh, I was actually going through my Albion memory box, and I found the Leaving Argus uh, the the supplement for the cup final, and uh, there was a little article in there about you. And uh, it's, I've, just put, I've got a few questions for you, actually, Gordon, if you can remember what you actually said to the no, questions. So, quick fire round. Here we go. <laughs> yeah, so here we go. So he said, uh, he asked you, what, what's, uh, what are your hobbies? So what did you, do you think you said that is your hobbies? Um, hobbies were probably uh, golf at that time. And uh, I like to go, go to cinema, go to cinema. Is that any of them, any of those, right? No? No, it was actually singing, singing and playing the guitar. Oh well, yeah, that was that is one of my hobbies. to that singing, playing guitar, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the next one is: uh, what is your music choice? No, what, what, what did you? Oh, definitely uh, Paul McCartney. Uh, yeah, yeah. Blackbird. Yeah, well, oh, we, it's, it's great. Yeah, yeah. But you actually said the Beatles, so yeah, you're you're, you're on it there. Yeah. Okay, so the next one, uh, the final one here is: uh, what is your favourite food? Now, this is a real 70s, 80s uh, culinary <laughs> classic. I think I can guess this then. 
<laughs> it was probably more modern than maybe said beef stroganoff, but maybe I didn't say that, did I? Yeah, you did. Yeah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> It was going to be that old spag bowl, wasn't it, really? I thought, I thought it was going to be steak and chips, as usually. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but the funny thing think... was, guys, you, you probably know this, but I, I had got friendly. I'd met him in Glasgow before, but I got friendly with Paul McCartney when I was down uh, playing for Brighton. And mm-hmm. that, that year, the year of the cup final, I was in his house uh, down in, 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 in Peasmarsh. And uh, he said, he said, he said, and he actually said to me, I see, you're playing against Liverpool in the cup coming up. I was like, I says, yeah. And he goes, you won't win there probably, will you? Anfield. I says, uh, probably not. I says, it's going to be a tough game. And I says, well, we might struggle there. And he goes, oh, that's a pity. He said, if you got to the final, I would love to come and see you playing in it. And I was like, oh, okay. So when we got to the final, uh, I phoned up and said to him, uh, we're in the final. He goes, I see that. I said, get your ticket. He goes, I said, when are you looking for? He says, uh, 10. And I said, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Paul. I, there's no chance of getting you ten. My family are down their hordes from Scotland. They said, how many can you get me? I said, two. And they went, yeah, okay, then I'll take two. So about ten days before the final, uh, I've called one night, and it was Marlene was speaking. My wife was speaking to Linda McCartney, and then said, oh, it's Linda, but Paul, Paul wants to speak to you. So he come, Paul McCartney came on the phone. He says, hi, Gordon. He says, a couple of things. Just want to wish you all the very best, but I can't come now. He said, we've got to go uh, and record an album uh, somewhere over in the Caribbean. It was somewhere. And I said, OK. He says, I've got something else to tell you. He goes, I've lost your tickets. I can't find your cup final tickets. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, that's what Paul. Fortunately, what I'd done was I'd taken a note of every single uh, complimentary ticket I'd got. So I knew the number of it, right, that I'd given him. So I was able to get copies from the FA for the game. And it's quite funny because a friend of mine, down in Brighton was going want to go to the game. I says, I've got you two tickets. He's like, you're joking. I went, no. I said, I said the guy who I got him for can't go. And he goes, well, what if he turns up on the day? And I said, a bit of a shock if he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I've got. I actually, I've got another question. You mentioned your wife Marlene, and uh, there was also another another piece in in this uh, in this um, paper where it was interviewing the the players' wives. So they interviewed uh-huh. your wife, and uh, she said that. Um, they're great friends uh, with Lizzie Mosley and Lana Case. So yeah. what, what? Okay. So what did they do regularly together? Um, probably shopping and spending money. Um, and <laughs> else, um, no, I've no idea. <laughs> <laughs> it's playing badminton. Oh, did they? All right. Well, that was a long time ago. Actually, no, the funny thing is she got back playing badminton in the last few months. That's a funny thing that you've just said that. She, I didn't know she'd been, ever played it before. She obviously did play it down in, in Brighton because I, I actually, one of the things I took up down there, I, I was played a little bit, was tennis down there. I played a little bit of tennis as well, but I also took up golf down there when I went to the Albina. I, I actually, um, you know, the, the, because Mike Bamber had the uh, golf courses, didn't he? He, he built La Manga. Him and his company. That's right, yeah. yeah. And, uh, so we were going away golf trips. Some of the, t- the games would stay overnight and play golf. And I was sitting in my own in hotel all day because I didn't play golf. And then I took up golf and I played at the Dyke. The Dyke was where I started to play in those days. So that was, I took up golf down there. Uh, I took up drinking as well. I never used to drink till I went to Brighton. Maybe that was my fault, my <laughs> cup final. Uh, that's my excuse now. Uh, but I took up drinking down there because it was a great uh, atmosphere. The boys were... Uh, really did like to go out for a, a few drinks, you know, during the week and maybe on a Wednesday night was, was always a day off and uh, go to the, 
out and, and have a game of golf and then have a drink afterwards. So I took up yeah. some drinking there. But as I say, uh, golf, I still play golf this day, but a lot of people couldn't believe that I never took up golf until I went down to Brighton. And I said that's mainly because uh, the weather. The weather's a lot better than where you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a classic football Fantastic. thing, isn't it? Actually, football is playing golf. It's almost compulsory, isn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. it is. I mean, as I say, I was, I was a, an outsider. Two things, because I didn't drink and I didn't golf. Uh, they said, are you really Scottish? You know, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best to join up with you. <laughs> Speaking of Scotland, obviously right. from Scotland who play for Kilmarnock Rangers and as well as Brighton and Man City, who, you know, we might face in a final if we can get through. Um, I, I don't know, you don't have to ask, answer this, Gordon, but um, there's actually a fairly limited amount of info on you on Wikipedia. I, I don't know whereabouts you were born or um, or who you supported. Do you, do you support yeah. a team? Yeah, it was only, I mean, only Wikipedia also only gives goals league. It only gives league. A lot of people, I, I go to some dinners to speak and, and they'll say, uh, oh, Gordon scored 119 goals in his career. And I say, and I, when I stand up, I'll say, league goals that was. I didn't score, I scored <laughs> more than that because it only, it's only ever league goals. But I started at Kilmarnock uh, as a player and my, my family were all Kilmarnock fans and they used to take me to games. But I became a Rangers fan when I was very young uh, because I saw a player called Jim Baxter playing. And I wanted to be like Jim Baxter. And it turned out really well for me. You know why? Because I was right-footed as a little kid. This was about when I was about seven or eight. But because I became uh, infatuated by this player, Jim Baxter, I started to use my left foot all the time. And, and it actually was a great help because when I, when I became older, because I'd done it at such a young age, I became a two-footed player. And I used to get, I mean, I used to get asked by people. I mean, even Alan Mullery said at one point, are you right-footed or left-footed, Gordon? And he actually asked me that. And that, that was a compliment, if you think yeah. about it. You know? yeah. So, so that was a that's how it started. I became a, a Rangers fan then because of that, because of, because of the Jim Baxter thing. But as I say, my family were all big Kilmarnock fans, so I couldn't tell them at all that I I liked Rangers. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember actually. I remember. I'm not sure which pundit it was at the time back in the eighties, whether it was Jimmy Greaves or Jimmy Hill. But I always remember the the description of you. They said that he's one of the throwbacks to players who can turn on a sixpence. Yeah, right. And I always, yeah. always remember that uh, that saying. Always connect that kind of saying to you now that someone said, actually said that about you. Yeah, because I, I actually I actually found also um, a football league program uh, from 1980 when you joined the club, uh-huh. and it says it says in here um, it says introducing Gordon Smith. So in the program it says elegance on the field is not a description that is too often applied to a footballer. But for Albion fans, it is perhaps a very appropriate ad- adjective to describe the style of one of the club's newest signings. Lovely. Yeah, yeah it, compa- it, yeah. it compares you. It compares you. He says he is the Scottish answer to Trevor Brooking. Yeah, that, that's what Alan Molly. That's what Alan Molly used to say to people. That's what he said when he saw me playing. Because when he signed me, he said the first time I saw you, Gordon, I saw you play two games. You played against West Ham and you played against Kamara in a tournament, and you scored three goals. He said, and uh, he said, I just realised right away I wanted you. And what he didn't say at the time to MD else was he told me that he tried to sign me and Davy Cooper, who was the winger at Rangers. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. he said. Yeah. He said what happened was he said, uh, the th- Davy Cooper made the three goals that he saw me score, and he, he said I wanted you both, but Rangers wouldn't let me have you both. That's what he said. So that he wanted us both there. And when I told Davy Cooper afterwards about that, he, Davy Cooper was a bit. Uh, sick about the fact they didn't get get to Brighton as well because he would have come with me. He, he said he that great, great player, oh, right. great player, great player. Yeah, yeah. 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 he said he would have loved to come come to Albion. So 
he was a bit sick when I told him that uh, I was forced to go and, and he was stopped from going. Particularly yeah. when he found out how much you were being paid. <laughs> yeah, I bet you. Yeah. <laughs> negotiations ever did that. Yeah, because no, actually, no, no. <laughs> actually, because it goes, I'll just add this a little bit here if you don't mind. Because it's, it's, I thought it was quite a good little line. It says, further on in the program, it says, his appearance in a smart light suit one week or neat sports jacket and slacks the next <laughs> gives him that elegant appearance which somehow it, he seems to carry with him on the field. That's what right. it said in the program. Oh, it's fantastic, is isn't it? Yeah, that's what it says <laughs> in the program. Yeah. So, so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the only thing, other thing I wanted to add, my 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 mate's uh, friend, uh, my mate mine used to go to. Uh, uh, sorry, my mate's uh, mother, the guy I used to go to the football a lot uh, to watch you, and the mother said that he always, she always liked to. Uh, she liked Gordon Smith because of his nice long slender legs, <laughs> and uh, particularly particularly after the summer break because yeah, they were so well tanned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, That's could, what she used to say. Days, in those days, you could see her legs. Nowadays, nowadays the shorts are so long. You look back at the shorts you had on, you were they were way up to your right to the top of your thigh, weren't they? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Now, Andy, I don't know if you've got any other last bit of questions as well. Please throw them in. While you're thinking of that, um, I've got one final question as well, Gordon. If you were playing today, I know this is a cliche type of question. If you were playing today in this Albion team. How do you think you'd do? And would you, do you think you'd fit in in a number 10 role in this particular squad? I, I think I definitely would. I think that they, they play a style of football that would suit me without question. As I say, we played that way under Al Mowry. Then when Mike Bailey came in, I was put in the wing. We played a sort of 4 4 2, but I was playing almost like a wing back and having to mm. play. So, but my, my best position, funny enough, the, the only thing that happened in the cup run was that uh, it happened before the cup run because. I think it was they'd sold uh, one of the players. I think it was Andy Ritchie, was it? They sold. That's right, yeah. They yeah. brought in Terry Connor, and he was cup tied. That was the reason I had to play as a striker. Where I was always, I was always a midfield player until that time. I played as a striker in the in the cup run because uh, in the final games of the season that season because they were short, they couldn't play MDLs up front in the cup matches. So that's why. But I was I would suit this current team. I think I definitely would. It's great. I mean, you see me think about it. I mean. There's, I mean, the Albion having a player just now who's a World Cup winner is incredible, yeah. isn't it? You know, mm. must be the only player ever in the history of the club who's a World Cup winner, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, no, I like I like the style of football. The, the style of football would would have suited me. I I, I liked the, that opportunity to go and attack and support the front man and all that. So I would have played. Probably just off uh, Welbeck or Ferguson or whatever, and played yeah. from the midfield area to go and support them. Yeah, mm. it's a brave, proactive, proactive, and exciting brand of football. I, I love it, and I, yeah, I think yeah. you fit in very nicely. Yeah, mm. with those well-tanned legs, yeah, classic Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Andy, have you got any final bits uh, you wanted to ask or add in there? I, I suppose, really, that going back again, Gordon, to when you came to see goals over London, you made some comment. I, I couldn't remember the player's name, but I think it's when you was at City about being a, a footballer and being educated, and that, that maybe that was a bit of a, um, you know, that was a kind of a an exception to the rule. So I kind of wondered when you um, when you weren't playing, did you did you did you spend most of your time with footballers, or did you have another a group of friends that you spend your time with? A mixture of both, actually. Uh, more, more 
the footballers was mainly just in the arranged scenario when it was just the players were getting together. And the, the other stage of times, I had other friends that I would, I would I got friendly with. My wife had made friends and all that sort of thing. But the thing was, it was quite funny. It's a good point you mentioned there, Andy, because when I was, uh, I mentioned before, when I was at Manchester City, I used to keep quiet about the fact that I had a, I've got a degree, I've got a business degree, and I was sitting in the dressing room at Man City, and we used to sit and talk to Paul Power. I was changing beside him, the captain of the team, and he said to me, Gordon, you, you seem edu- are you educated? I didn't want, I went, what do you mean? And he said, have you got a qualification? I said, no, not really. He goes, I think you have. And he says, he says, I'm a lawyer. I've got a, I've got a lawyer's qualification. I went, yeah, okay, then I'll tell you. I, I, do <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind, I don't mind telling you now that you've admitted to it, right? But we used to, and we were the, we were like the two old guys in the Muppets actually sitting there talking about everybody all day, just looking at the status. I mean, some of the mentality of some of the players you get in dressing rooms. It's unbelievable. I've got, I've got so many stories about things that people said and did and all that. And you just go, wait a minute here. Is that true that somebody's like that? But it is. We used to get a good laugh at it. And it was the same. <laughs> at Brighton. There was always one or two of the boys uh, come out with some crazy things and did crazy things. But in the main, I think it was it helped. My, it was my mother's fault. My mother actually was determined that I was getting educated. She was the one that even applied for my university uh, to put me into university. I hadn't even applied. She did. And, and, and next thing she said, you know, you're in. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm playing football. No, no. So it was it was good. So, so I mixed up both worlds, Andy, you know what I mean? So mm, I ended yeah. up, it helped a lot when I when I finished playing football. It, it helped a lot in terms of my career because it meant other people were interested in me because two aspects. One was I'd, I'd done well on the football side of things, but I was also had an education because even quite a lot of the times, even at Brighton and then I went on to Man City, I used to do courses and to pick up on things like financial training and all that sort of thing. So I, I didn't stop even then. I just I wanted to try and improve myself and, and so that when I stopped playing, I, I would have other uh, other prospects to, in terms of getting work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. really good. Superb. Well, Gordon, it's been a pleasure. Well, we, we enjoyed you having on. We enjoyed you having on before. And also at Seagulls Over London, which Andy mentioned. Maybe we'll get you back. Back over uh, at some point in the future. Um, oh, yeah, I'm always happy to do it. Yeah, I, 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 it's a pleasure knowing you guys. It really is, and I'm happy to do anything with you. As I say, I've got happy, happy years, and I've, I've loads of uh, stories from my time, and and happy memories of it. And that's why, if if you ever need me for anything, by all means, get in touch. Fantastic. Thanks very that's much. Really Excellent. Good. Thank you. 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 Yeah, Cheers. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Part two of our lovely podcast now, the preview of the big game at the weekend, where I'm now joined by my co-host Peter. Hello, Peter. Hey Russ. Hey, yeah, I'm very well, thank you, very well. And we've also been joined for a second time on the podcast uh, by the chair of Kick It Out, Sanjay Bandari, who is a Manchester United fan. People may remember from when he was on before. Hello, Sanjay, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Russ. Hi, Russ. Pete as well. How are you both doing? All good. All yeah. Good, it's fantastic. And looking forward, of course, to the big game. I've just said off air, I've got to say it on air as well. Loving the beard. It's absolutely resplendent. <laughs> Superb. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm cultivating this as an aged Bollywood villain look. Yeah. <laughs> well, it looks magnificent. I think it probably is the best beard we've had on the podcast. <laughs> what do you Not say about mine, then? 
which works well in the audio format, doesn't it? But never mind. Um, well, yeah, we've got the big game coming up, and uh, we'll talk about that, of course, in a moment. Um, but first of all, for anyone that isn't familiar, um, Sandra, you've been with Kicking Out for quite a while. So tell us about that and um, and how things are with it at the moment. What's What's been happening? Yeah, I, I've been there for three and a half years, I think it is now. Uh, and um, I'm, I came in to, to chair it and change a few things around so uh yeah we've got you know pretty much a new team uh new new ceo who joined us a couple of years ago tony um and yeah our, um mission is to eradicate discrimination and make football a game where everyone feels that they belong and and we do that around uh, around being a voice for underrepresented or minority community in football uh trying to increase the skills and learning and knowledge of football and then trying to connect opportunities to unseen talent. Uh, so actually next week we've got a, a massive event going on at Arsenal um, at the Emirates. Uh, it's our Raise Your Game event. So it's a big mentoring thing. I think it's be about 500 people there. And it's about connecting um, people who want to come into the football industry, anything off the pitch, uh, and they can get connected with mentors who are working in the industry. So, you know, in, in the just as an example, in the media area, we've got people like Henry Winter coming along to to, to mentor a bunch of of uh, a bunch of young people, and there's loads of other similar people, sort of Carrie Brown from Being Sports and uh, Miriam Walker Khan from Sky Sports, and a whole bunch of other other journalists. And then we do that in lots of other areas uh, as well. So that's just an example, uh, and obviously. Uh, we're doing a lot of work around at the moment around things like the online safety bill, um, around tackling uh, abuse in football, online abuse. And then uh, we've also been um, providing evidence to the fan-led review around how you can use a new regulator to help accelerate inclusion in football. Uh, and uh, we've contributed to the women's football review uh and uh yeah we're continuing to do some of the programs that we've done for a long time like the fan education program so when when fans do something you know an act of discrimination but they're 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 amenable to education we'll we'll do sort of one-on-one education program with them i think we've done about 80 of those in the last year or two and and as far as we're aware touch would none of them have gone back and re-offended and we think that's really the way forward you know we shouldn't be you can't just ban your way out of this stuff. You've got to have a way of engaging with people to try and to try and uh, help change minds, views, and attitudes. You know, because the the answer to the answer to bad ideas is not cancellation. The answer to bad ideas is better ideas, and we've got to try and help share those better ideas and persuade people uh, and help people. So, yeah, that's. There's lots more I could talk about. There's been lots in the news with things like John Yems this week, and I've been doing lots of writing over the last few months. Uh, um, and yeah, I mean, if you've got anything that you want to ask around any of those areas, I'm happy to happy to talk about them. Excellent. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of work involved there, isn't there? And you mentioned John Yems, obviously, former Crawley manager who was dismissed over discrimination um, accusations. And, and he's, he was found guilty, given a uh, well, he's given a ban, wasn't he? A football ban yeah. for I think it was for two years. And it's been extended in this week's news, wasn't it? That's, um, if people are wondering what that one's about. Um, but yeah, in general, it's uh, overall, yeah, a lot of challenges. It's an endless ongoing 
uh, battle, isn't it, really, to, to win this one? Um, since we last spoke and on either side of when we did, uh, I think there's been countless, I mean, too many to count, um, incidents that have occurred either made it a lot of on, online stuff, obviously, um, yeah. social media, et cetera. Uh, but there's been other instances face-to-face as well, hasn't there? I think that, including on the pitch and, and in yeah. the stands and all the other stuff that goes with that. And, yeah, as you said, it's uh, it's not a cancellation thing because I think really in the end it's an unwinnable war if you try and do it that way because uh, it just goes on and on. But um, how have you found the challenges that have changed in the time you've been in the role, do you think there's do you think it's a, there's been a significant shift in how you've had to approach things? Um, I, I think over the the last three or four years, the thing that has really you know accelerated hugely is the online threat and and the link between online and real world, right? And so part of the challenge is that people almost think of the online world as being completely different. Uh, and we treat the online world and, you know, discrimination at grassroots football as being very, very different things, but they're not, right? And, and we see a link between the two in the, the, you know, really the culture we have as a society is set by the worst behaviour that we're prepared to accept. Now, that worst behaviour might start online, but it doesn't finish there. So if we accept it on our timelines, we have to expect it on the touchlines. And that's actually what we see, which is the kinds of language and behaviour that we see online. People think, well, I got away with that and there were no consequences. So I might as well say it to your face. And so what we saw was this sort of explosion in abuse at grassroots football, using the kinds of language that we thought had died out you know, 15, 20 years ago. And we think that's correlated to the rise in online abuse. And so that really is the thing that's changed over the last four or five years because that has got worse and worse and worse and you know the 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 social media companies are playing either playing catch-up when they were in a genuine mood to try and do something about it or now kind of given up in many ways because you see what elon musk's doing with twitter and just sort of getting rid of the content moderation teams and it's becoming more of an open sewer rather than an underground sewer um and so yeah this is this is the this is really the the principal challenge of our day of our day i think it's the primary vector of hate and it feeds everything else and it feeds the culture that goes on in the real world because it normalizes a set of behaviors so yeah that that would be the big thing i think that we've seen over the last three or four years in terms of the negative side of the behaviour, the big thing we've seen in the positive side, and I think that has been a change, is everyone's on the pitch. You know, all of my engagement with things like the FA and the Premier League and the EFL and the PFA and the LMA, they all want to do, they all want to get engaged, they all want to be involved, they all want to be part of the solution. And I'm not sure that was always the case or that my predecessors would always have felt that was the case over the previous 30 years. But I always feel that they're engaged and they want to they want to work with us and they they want to help to drive improvements. And certainly the online stuff I've been, you know, I've been probably leading that on behalf of football and, you know, they're putting me forward to go up over and go and talk in Westminster. And we, we have a really trusted relationship where we work together on stuff like that. Um, and so that has been really helpful, particularly given the nature of the battle that we're having, that we feel a bit more united and we're, we're 
we're not it's not always it's not perfect there's still plenty of areas where there are challenges but we've it feels to me like we're better at that than we were five years ago hmm. yeah that's that's great that's definitely a positive 100 percent um anything in that direction is it's really great to hear um and yeah, I think the, the, you're absolutely right about the social media being a sort of a um, a testing ground in some cases for people to 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 think. Okay, well, I did that, got away with it. As you said, that's um, I think you're absolutely right. It is connected. There's no way you can deny it's not. And I think there's still a long way to go in terms of how social media is monitored. I'm I, I'm baffled by that. Actually, I think at one point I responded to somebody um, post match. Um, just saying that's absolute bullshit or something to somebody. Yeah. And it, it came up with a warning thing saying, oh, this isn't the sort of language you use. Are you sure you want to use that? I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> it's but it's I'm... quite helpful. It's quite yeah. helpful because for some people, that little bit of friction will stop them from posting something. Yeah. I, I mean, the other, the other positive thing that I've seen, I think, over the last few years is we're starting to, you know, we're starting to move into an era where we're looking at things like, homophobia and anti-semitism and islamophobia and starting to question some of the language that we see around things like that and to start thinking right is this still socially acceptable is this more socially unacceptable and i think there's much more support and for for for, across football for challenging those kinds of behaviors And, and i know obviously at your club you you your your fans get quite a lot of homophobic abuse in particular. So you you're obviously uh uh sort of right at the the cutting edge of that. And and yeah, I think there's more willingness to from from the authorities and from to, to engage around that and to know that we, we need to do more to change the culture of football uh, around around those kinds of around those kinds of challenges. Yeah, because that is definitely a cultural thing because when a whole yeah. section of fans are singing that it's very hard to throw out yeah. like hundreds of fans. I think we said probably when you were on the show last time, it's like almost impossible. You know, people can yeah. be picked out on social media when they posted if they can find them. But if if a yeah, a whole home end is is singing homophobic abuse, yeah. it does feel from a Brighton fan's point of view that it's been in the news a lot more since there was some complaints yeah. from Chelsea fans and that sort of thing. Whereas Brighton has just kind of been never really kind of talked about that much. I think it's almost been accepted by a lot of people. That's not to say it would be by you guys, but but like generally I think People just accept Brighton, get that sort of comments, but because Chelsea had it recently, there was some, you know, was it Chelsea were complaining about it? There was like quite a lot of story in the paper, and that's the that's the problem with the media that they because it's a big bigger club, it's talked yeah. about more. Yeah, and there's obviously it's one particular chant, but they get it, mm. you know, everywhere they go, particularly around the big clubs, and also former players of theirs who happen to be playing for another club will also get it, particularly from other you know fans of similar similar clubs. And you're right, you know, it's it's it's, it's it's sad in many ways that Brighton fans have probably been experiencing that for much longer. Uh, but it, it's kind of only news when it when when it, when it happens to Chelsea fans. But you know the good, the positive side of it is, well, they're using their platform uh, and to 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 raise it as an issue, and then that that's for the benefit of that's for the benefit of everyone. Look, I think the, the optimism I have is I go back to you know I, I was a I was been a football fan since the nineteen seventies. And and go into matches regularly from the eighties, and I would say for the first twenty or so years of going to matches, there were particular chants which I won't say here, but there were a particular chant that used the N word and a particular chance that used the P word, and I would say they were every match I went to for the first twenty years, every match. Mm. Now I look back in the rearview mirror and I go, I haven't heard those chants for ages. Mm. I've heard them since the late nineties. 
when did that go away and that's because as a society those words and those chants became socially yeah. unacceptable it's a bit like if someone started smoking in a restaurant now people would if someone sparked up someone else would go in and go what you do mate right and it's like that's what would happen the crowd kind of polices itself that's where we need to get to with things like homophobic chanting, with anti-Semitic chanting. Mm. The fact that we've done it, we've been on that journey, we know we can do it. We have to educate people as to, well, this is why this chant is homophobic. This is why it's unacceptable for, for, for us to be doing that. And we'll, we, if we keep at that, gradually we will win it. And mm. there will need to be start gradually increasing the discomfort level by... You know, it will at some point have to involve arresting people and seeing that there are consequences for that. But it's doing that at the right stage and in the right way. And we saw some. I think there were some of the FA Cup final last year. Some 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 fans that were arrested and didn't get to see the game. They they were doing it at, uh, at Wembley Park Station. Um, so those kinds of things really helpful to sending a signal to say that's not the what that's not what we want in our game anymore. Yeah, and I, mean, I think also in the UK generally, there's not the stigma around homophobia as there is around racism. I think it's safe to say. I mean, yeah, it's but, but you know, all forms of discrimination are terrible. But yeah, I think people generally, especially the football fans, probably wouldn't regard a lot of them don't regard homophobia as a problem, and they wouldn't. They've you know, even if they realise it's homophobia, they don't really care. Whereas obviously racism has. Yeah. I mean, there are, there are definitely countries around Europe who there is a lot more racism at football. Yeah. Some of the things you hear about in Italy and even Spain, you know, certainly Eastern European countries, you hear about it as well. Yeah, and I mean, compared yeah. to them, we've you know we've done brilliantly. That's the you hear about incidents because they are the exception. Actually, it matches. It is a lot more on the online side, which I mean, a lot of that doesn't come from the UK anyway. So it's like the abuse of players. Exactly. It's almost impossible to do anything about it. Exactly. I mean, you know, fifty to seventy percent of the online stuff comes from overseas anyway, right? So it's not this is not a uniquely British problem. Obviously, we're the Premier League is the biggest league in the world, and so we're the biggest magnet to attract uh, eyeballs, and also both good and bad. Uh, and so we attract people who are who have got who want to who want to spread hate. Um, but you're right. The you know the, 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 there is a sort of uh, it's it's just where we are in our in our progress, and we've got to, we've reached that point with certain words, certain racist terms that they they you know they were socially acceptable. Like say for the first twenty years of my of my watching football, people probably felt about the n word or the p word the way people feel about homophobic chants. Yeah, yeah well, I've always done that. You know, it's like, I don't mean it. I'm not offensive, right? And it's. And it's, it always comes down to intent. Yeah, well, I didn't intend it. Yeah, and I believe this isn't all about what you intend. This is also about the impacts. Right? It's, it's about what impact that has on someone hearing it. And so if you didn't know that that was the impact, we're now telling you this is the impact and this is why we think it's not acceptable. And we have to keep doing that and we have to keep making that noise. And we, we can't just do it around the World Cup and say, right, you know, otherwise that, that, that feels like we're doing it for all the wrong reasons. This, this is this is not about what goes on in another country. It's about what goes on in our country, right? And you know, how can we make our culture so that everyone feels that they belong in the game? Um, yeah, that is, in a way, an issue around almost, I'd say, almost in a global game because there are countries who, what we regard as homophobia, they just regard as lot of time normal sort of you know kind of it's it's a law even you know and that we found that actually as a club when we had South African player Percy Tau and 
when we had an Iranian player, Ali Reza Hanbach, and there was a lot of following from both countries. And when there were posts on social media from the Albion about, you know, inclusivity and about, you know, kind of anti-homophobia and kind of like the um, rainbow you know, games, that's the rainbow laces. There was a lot of abuse for that because, yeah. you know, people, the, the, a lot of these countries, they, you know, it's, it's illegal. The other side is that our, our current like Japanese and Ecuadorian following are brilliant. Yeah, right, kind of, but it's you. You only really realise quite how global the Premier League is when you're in it, because we've literally had players like Mitoma and Casado and this, uh, yeah, players like that who have actually built our supporter base. Obviously, being a United fan, that's pretty much what you're used to. It's the way it is. But we, yeah, we've not really experienced it until the Premier League. We didn't really have a kind of following around the world of any sorts. No one ever heard of Brighton in a lot of countries. And, and the flip side of those challenges is the opportunity that those challenges present, right? And the opportunity that these people are being attracted to follow Brighton because of these amazing players that you've got and the fantastic recruitment team that you have, which I'm very jealous of, like every other club is jealous of. Um, uh, and you will get these culture clashes of, of, of people who come from a different culture and don't have the same necessarily values or beliefs or... And 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 how do you deal with that, right? And this is where the opportunity is because we have these enormous brands and this enormous influence of the Premier League, and these are this is our culture and these are our values here in the UK, and this is what we stand for, and we want everyone to feel that they belong. So if you you're welcome, but you're not welcome to exclude somebody else. <laughs> They're also welcome, and yeah. and it's how we use the the power of our game to to give that sort of soft power influence and how we can help to drive change el- el- elsewhere as well and help others to help others to 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 maybe achieve things in 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 other countries as well but that's the, i think the potential influence of of clubs and football we you know it's it's incredible we're relatively small organizations in the grand scheme of things but this incredible impact and influence on people every day of the week <laughs> Yeah, it's something else, isn't it? Yeah, and it's great work. I mean, I remember you said you've got a very small team, haven't you? Actually, at kick and outs, um, just a sort of a handful of people, isn't it? Essentially, on a uh, it's, yeah, it's about it's about it's about twenty. Um, uh, but yeah, we're 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 always looking to to grow, and we're doing more and more work and trying to set up more and more partnerships, and and so yeah, the. You know, I think we're much more structured now, and that was part of my job was to make sure that we're structured to take advantage of any opportunities to grow, uh, not to grow our size for the sake of it, but to grow so that we can grow the impact that we have. This is, you know, we're a charity, so it's all about what the impact that we have on uh, on on people's lives. That and so yeah, it's such a huge game in this country to have only twenty people. Really, is. And do all the work you guys do is phenomenal, really. I mean, yeah. you know, look, the, the reality is that look, the great thing about football is that, every, like I said, everyone's invested and every club's invested. Every club's, you've got your equality, diversity, and inclusion officers and teams, and everyone's engaged. And so I think our, our job is not to try and replicate or to deliver things on behalf of the whole of football, but to be kind of at the cutting edge and thinking about the new things and what's happening. In, pushing people forward and you know having some of those uncomfortable conversations 
but then it has to be delivered through the 92 clubs and the 50 county football associations and the FA. That That's the way that change is going to happen. We're not going to be able to drive that. And so we're trying to be, I suppose, a bit more think tanky in the middle and say, here's how we drive ideas forward. And then it gets multiplied out. Um, so that's really, I suppose, the the, the philosophy is, um, you know, right, right at the sort of cutting edge of ideas. That's why we're working on things like Family Review and on the online safety bill, because those things will have impacts for years to come. Yeah, and you're right. It's uh, it's at the heart of everything, isn't it? It's such a huge game, as Peter said. And um, the diversity in, the, in terms of participation in the sport, as well as a supportership for one one of a better word has, has um really escalated and expanded and i think there's a, a lot greater diversity in in who's interacting with football a lot more so it's all all greater it's at the heart of matters isn't it now um we mentioned huge game well the game is huge but there is a huge game on sunday isn't there coming up just a couple of days away as we speak today sanjay and you're a manchester united fan uh, yeah. old friends from the uh, 1983 fa cup <laughs> clash um, 40 years on at the semi-final level we're playing it again. We don't have a good record against you, by the way. I don't know if you know what the head-to-head is, but we've won five, and that's mainly in more recent times. Uh, five draws, and you've had 19 wins. So the balance is firmly in your favour overall. Um, I should add as well that although we've had good results in the uh, in the league, the FA Cup is not a happy uh, uh, fixture for us against you guys. And also... Uh, playing at Wembley. This, I think, is our sixth appearance at Wembley, and we haven't won yet. So all of those things go against us. But having said that, those things can change. We've broken through quite a few barriers, including winning at Chelsea for the first time uh, last week. So um, we'll, we'll see. We'll get your views on this then. First of all, how do you... Well, actually, I'll, I'll ask you how you see this game going later. First of all, tell us about your uh, your thoughts on the season so far, um, starting with that magnificent uh, game against the oh, Albion, of course, yeah. on the opening day. <laughs> opening day. Well, you know what? I'd, so I didn't make the 83 Cup final, uh, but I've actually... I think I've seen two of your... Two of your, your two of your previous defeats at Wembley because I was at the oh. City semi-final. Yeah. And uh, I was actually, I think you've had a playoff final against Notts County in we 1991. Have, yeah. Was it 1991? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I was at that game. Was, oh, wow. <laughs> we were amazing with Notts County fans. Uh, yeah. so, you had a better day than we did then. <laughs> yeah, because you I think did you wear the pink kit that day? Yeah, you? I think yeah. so. I got what a memory, eh? Yeah, a bit bizarre, <laughs> I remember true. Tommy Tommy Johnson. Did Tommy Johnson score twice with Notts County? I think he might have done, yeah. Yeah, we were, and, we were comfortably beaten. Yeah, yeah, because I think County then had just one season, didn't they, in the top flight? It was because it was the old it was Notts yeah. County we, part of that amazing quiz question because Notts County are one of two clubs that were founder members of the Premier League that have never played in the Premier League, which is always my, one of my favourite <laughs> quiz questions. Notts County and Luton Town because yeah. they formed the league the season before and got relegated. Luton are a bit closer to getting in there than than Notts County. Uh, yeah, although of course County look like they'll uh, they'll they'll get up if not automatically yeah. the playoffs. You'd imagine they'll get through back into the. You'd, you'd, you'd think so, but then the playoffs are so unpredictable. It's the... Yeah, but they I think they're a bit more skewed, aren't they? Yeah. Because you only have one leg and it's at home. If you're yeah. a higher placed team, so yeah, but obviously yeah, if it gets to Wembley, it's a it's a it's you know, it's a cup final. Um, yeah, I th- our, so our season difficult start. Thought Brighton played well on the first day. Actually, we didn't. We didn't play particularly well. Um, 
I, I think last last season we really, you know, we, we we've really changed in terms of we've almost gone the opposite. Last season, I think we underperformed with the squad that we had. I don't think Solskjaer or Ranić got the best out of the players. And this year, I think Ten Hag has got absolutely the maximum out of that squad. I really don't. There's no way we should be where we are. I'll be really honest. With that squad, he has got absolutely every last ounce out of them. And I think the thing that I've been most impressed with is, even though we've had lots and lots of injuries and suspensions, every time he adapts, and he'll get a bad result, and we're not great away from home against the big teams. You know, I think we've six of the top nine we've lost away from home and sometimes and when, and when he we're a bit like the 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 proverbial girl in the nursery rhyme aren't we you know when we're good we're very very good and when we're bad we're horrid and like <laughs> so when we're bad we are really really bad and you can see that you can just see the confidence drain out of them um but yeah, is it done? Would last night be an example of that? Possibly, was obviously a. Yeah, I mean, there's always a difficulty. I think when they have De Gea, Lindelof, and Maguire, it's not it's not worth in the past. Now, I think De Gea is a fantastic shot stopper, but you know, I've been boring my fans for the last three years. Going, if we want to make progress, he's probably not the keeper for us because you need a keeper who's good and confident with their feet. And I think really good teams spot the. He's very, very nervous. And so they cut off the passing channels and then he rushes and makes mistakes. And in and and particularly in those first 15, 20 minutes. And mm. and the amount of times I've seen it, you know, should we just we just don't always get punished. I was at Forest away last week, first 20 minutes there. There's a couple of things, and I'm there with my nephew were going, he's gonna he's gonna drop a proverbial in a minute. You know, there is something is gonna go wrong there. He's gonna he's gonna there's a wreck there about to happen. And it didn't happen against Forest because they weren't quite good enough to press them to make it happen. But it does against the better teams. Hmm. Um, and, and it's almost like he needs leadership. So it's different when Martinez and Ferran are playing. And, and yeah, I think the thing that Ten Hag's done, he's just adapted his team every time he had this little challenge. So recently with, I think, um, with, with, with quite a few injuries in midfield and suspensions and then switching Bruno Fernandes a bit deeper and letting him play deeper and moving Sarbitzer up front. And then occasionally he's had switching Rashford and Veghorst round and having Veghorst as a number 10 and Rashford up top and just little things like that. And for a period of four or five games, it works an absolute treat and then he'll change it again and he'll do something else. And and, and that's the thing. He's just been able to find a way to, to, to dig out results. So, I mean, look... If we could get top four, and I think we 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 should be able to just limp over the line with the with the the squad we've got and. Uh, well, it's not know, like the team's chasing you any any form at all. Spurs are dreadful. And... I mean, that's the thing, and Spurs have got to go to Newcastle on Wednesday, and uh, sorry, got to go to Newcastle on this Sunday. So one of them the loses out there then. So. Yeah, and then and then we play. We're at we're at Spurs on Thursday. Uh, and in a way, last night might be a slight blessing because it, it knocks three games out and it means we've got maybe a window now to play our unscheduled game at home against Chelsea. Yeah, I was kind of hoping you guys would get through on after extra time to be honest. Because yeah. really <laughs> then, yeah, there's two potential Champions League options there's, and it might have taken your mind off the FA Cup having won the League Cup, I thought. But yeah, <laughs> I'm a little bit more nervous than anything after last night because the focus ball will be on making it right on Sunday and kind of the FA Cup. Will become maybe a greater priority than it was maybe if yeah originally. I think I think it's more that they that they 
every time they have a bitter defeat like that, they normally react pretty well the next game. Hmm. Um, yeah, ever since the Brentford game, that's happened really. Obviously, we lost the first two Brentford, Brentford to Brighton and Brentford, and then reacted beating Liverpool at home. But ever since then, every time we have a bad result, we tend to tend to win the next one. I think this will be the toughest one of those. Try and win the next one, apart since since Liverpool. Uh, that was the third game of the season, but you know, we're we're a lot further in. Our squad's a bit more depleted. It, it, I think quite a bit might depend on Luke Shaw because I think if Luke Shaw's fit, he's actually done a really good job at centre half, uh, and I think he'll play next to Lindelof uh, at centre half. Um, yeah, I'm a bit gutted Maguire's out, to be honest. So <laughs> I don't think even if he was fit, I don't think even if he wasn't suspended. If Luke Shaw was fit, I think Luke Shaw would play alongside Lindelof. It's a it's a more solid combination, okay. um, and their distribution's better. And he, and he likes a left footer on the left, uh, and he likes that sort of cross cross field distribution and switching play. Um, but it's just how fit he is. He, he looked like he took another knock last night. Um, yeah, and he'll you might you might scramble a team together. It'd be a huge test because you know, I really admire Brighton. They've got so, so many great players, and you know they're becoming. Brighton and Brentford are becoming everyone's second favourite team, aren't they? You know, <laughs> it's just they're a joy to watch, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I know if you if you go on the name United would be favourites, but if you actually look at the the actual form and the way the two teams are playing, it would be a lot closer than that. Uh, and you would say Brighton are probably on better form than we are at the moment. Um, subject to obviously a few difficult VAR decisions you've had. When <laughs> you got, got robbed yeah. the lane, um, but uh, but yeah, I think it, I think it will be a really close one. Yeah, well, that that is a worry in a sense. Well, the bounce back thing might be a worry. The the VAR and the game being close could be a worry as well because historically we've not had much joy against you guys. I won't go into the uh, details. I've, I've, Podcast listeners have heard this over and over again, but we, I think, in even in the game this season where we won a number of decisions we could have had and weren't given penalty, a one on one offside yeah. was given, and and, very, and McTominay, I think, should have gone, but in other games as well. So, if it is on small margins, we that's the one thing the Albion fans will be dreading is because we've just had a, a, a torrent of bad well, luck or whatever you want to call it, um, from decisions in against various opposition, and United are amongst those that we think are. Oh, United even, again. Even Chelsea, we had a penalty that yeah, was denied. Yeah, a penalty, yeah. 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 Um, so, yes, if it is on small margins, who knows? I think that most of the bookmakers have been giving us slight um, favourite odds at the moment, which is interesting as well. I mean, who would have thought that um, a few years ago? But as you said, we, we're, we're a team that's in a, a period of um, progression, I suppose, that's been ongoing for a while this is a, a project under tony bloom that's taken different facets at different times and we're into a stage now where we're trying to establish ourselves as a top 10 side a side competing in europe and latter stages of uh of competitions such as this weekend um as you said obviously it's a, a team that's getting a lot of plaudits as our brentford um how do you see us uh, do, you, can you, do you think it's sustainable is it outside of looking in so to speak what, yeah. what do you think I think it is sustainable, actually. I think because it's about the way that you're led right the way from the top, you know, from Paul Barber down, and and there seems to be a structure there that you've got an idea of the kind, the way you want to play, the kind of players you want, the kind of coaches you want, and so if if a piece falls out of that jigsaw, you put someone else in. 
to, to replace. I think that you know the, your challenge might be the actually most difficult challenge might be if it, if anyone ever came after Paul Barber. I don't know that might because he's you know he's a really high performing CEO as well, and so at some point that might happen as well. Um, but you you know the the way you recruit and you get players through and it's such incredible value and you know, okay you've, you've got rid of so many players over the last year like sort of you know Basuma and uh, Kukurea and so on but it hasn't it hasn't seemed to change has it you know you have Matoma and Evan Ferguson coming through and Caicedo and and then you had Enciso the other day scoring that goal and so you, you know you there, there's something really um that seems like it's structural that's going on there that is is feels like it 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 is sustainable um uh, yeah i mean the you know you'll probably have clubs that will come and have a a sort of sniff around some of the players but um it, 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 you look at a club like dortmund they they have got a sort of unique model haven't they and they always lose players but they lose them and they make fantastic fee out of them and then they go and get the next hot young talent and they want to join them because they know as young players they'll get game time and you know yeah. you're kind of going through quite a similar a similar thing as so the question comes at what point do you want to do you how many how many of those can you resist you know and how many can you lose in one time and how do you still make that progress to move because the next level is going to be i think you will hit getting europe this year whether that's you know it may may not be champions league but i think brighton will finish I think Brian will finish fifth. He'll finish ahead of Spurs. I think. I, th- I suspect if Newcastle and Man United will probably probably end up in the top four, but it's not certain. But I suspect you and Villa will finish ahead of Spurs. Mm. Um, that would be nice. <laughs> from the other week, <laughs> but it could end up with fifth, sixth, and seventh all being in the Europa League because obviously we've won the Carling the Carabao Cup, and and if if you and if you and if it's us and City or you and City in the final, assuming City beat Sheffield United, then you know it'll go down to seventh for the Europa League and then eighth for the Conference. So, you know, I, I, I suspect you 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 you'll be a good solid bet for being in Europe, and so that then that can represent a different challenge because you got Thursday Sundays, and they can be quite difficult. Yeah. You, the, the the rest and how's the squad big enough? And you it's, saw it's definitely not. It's yeah, it's it's a quite small squad relatively. Yeah, I think. And it and if we lose a couple in the summer and then also have to bring in more depth as well, it's going to be a test of yeah. Uh, yeah. And you saw saw what happened to West Ham this season. You know, after yeah. doing doing that and that and what's happened to them after last season as well, doing Thursday Sunday. You know, it, it's 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 a it's a challenge. I think you. Yeah, because of the age profile of your squad, you may be better able to cope. Uh, but it's it becomes a numbers game. Yeah, and West Ham did it okay last year. I don't, I don't know what's happened this year because they threw a lot of money at it. I think it might just be Moise's tactics have become a bit yeah. tired. And but yeah, I mean, this season they, you know, last season they they got to the Europa League semi-finals. Yeah, I think. Um, yeah. And on the face of it, the Conference League should be easier in a sense because they can play. Probably play weakened teams more in a, in a conference league than the, with the quality of opposition than compared to the, the Europa League. But yeah, they they've just I think they've just bought wrong this summer. And Moyes' tactics are probably not yeah, the yeah. most uh, advanced, should we say. 
<laughs> yeah. I was at that game when they threw about something like that, like a record number of crosses in when he was Man United manager. It was like, I thought it was like 72 crosses in one game. It was like, and I, I don't think he created more than one chance. <laughs> you just sling the ball in, hopefully. It's like watching League Two football, honestly. Was, that's almost an insult to League Two football. Well, that. funnily enough, we, we had a game, it might have been League One actually, against Warsaw, nine men Warsaw, where it was pretty much the same. We just put aimless crosses in endlessly to no avail whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> I can certainly vouch for that one. Yeah, we managed to lose 1-0. Yeah, we managed to lose 1-0, yeah. Um, West Ham are in the semis this year, aren't they? I suppose they would take yeah. Um, yeah. winning that tournament and surviving would be, I suppose, a, a season of reasonable success in a strange sort of way, yeah. even though obviously not, not good in the league. Maybe Moyes would uh, have a greater chance of surviving in that scenario. But um, anyway... Yeah, so we'll we'll see how how it goes at the weekend, and of course we've got you in the league as well later on. Uh, game yeah. Sheffield now for a Thursday and a week or two in a couple of weeks, isn't it? Are you go, have you been to the Amex by the way, Sandra? I've been a few times. Yeah, yeah, I love it. It's, I don't always have happy times there, but I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done all I normally, right. I normally departing early for the train to Lewis to go and pick up my car. Uh, oh yeah, normally you know three one down or whatever. <laughs> my so yeah, it's, it's I think you had a really good run against us. I think you won pretty much every game for like in about seven or eight in a row, didn't you? Including a couple of cup, and then yeah, it's only the last two that we've turned it around again. Yeah, yeah, we've had a we've had a couple of dodgy ones. Then we had a really good run, and then it's it's now it's yeah, you've had a, you know a couple of good results. Obviously, back end of last season, start of this season. Um, although I almost discount anything at the back end of last season because I think we, we, we had our beach tails on out in about March. So it's quite nice to have a season where we're ending the season again. And you kind of know you're having a good season when the in, in April and May, you can't wait for the season to end because it's no longer enjoyment, it's endurance. It's just, yeah. Every <laughs> game is like torture. And you're wondering what's going on in every game elsewhere, what's happening with your rivals. Yeah, we, we, we're, I think we've played the fewest games. We've still got like nine league games left. In the last 15 days of the season, we've got Arsenal away, Newcastle away, Southampton home, which is obviously more winnable, City home and Villa away, which is going to be a... Uh, what they call a test, I think it's safe to say. Yeah, yeah. And that's Real what test might, of our might, European credentials. That might be what just counts against you in the end for Champions League spots. Yeah. It's just the volume of games. That, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to keep that. Yeah, we've right. not got a huge squad. We've got a few injuries. Yeah. So, yeah. Ferguson, Ferguson's out, isn't he? On... Yeah. Well, they, yeah, he said yes at the weekend, but then today in a press conference said he's not sure about injuries. And so, mm. I don't know. Mm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens. It did seem odd that he basically ruled him out straight away after the game, and Beltman as well, to me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but yeah, today he, he didn't commit to anything, so who knows? I mean, even having on a bench with, you know, to, you know, can Brooks come on for Welbeck with 20 minutes left or something like that would be a yeah. real bonus. Yeah, 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 absolutely. He's a, he's a dangerous... Who, who do you think you might lose at the end of the season? Because you... McAllister and Casado are probably the most likely. I think yeah. Matoma will stay for another year at least. Ferguson will stay on. I think it'll be if, if it yeah if the first team it'll be Casado. I mean Casado was obviously wanted to go in January. Yeah, uh, yeah it, he may well do the same and want to go in the summer. Yeah. He signed um, a new deal, but that could be just yeah. you know to firm up mon- monetary stuff. Yeah, and McAllister as well. I mean, yeah, it, it depends what we do. If we, 
if we managed to get in the Champions League, but, which I don't think we will, but if we did, um, that might change perspective on whether they'll be sticking around to stay and be part of the story for another year, maybe. We, we're quite good at trying to sell those notions to people and yeah. persuading them to stay for a little bit longer in certain circumstances. But then the alternative is then you end up potentially losing three or four next summer, and then yeah. you really, really do have to like a big job. I mean, that's, it's, it's a real shame if they do go, because this team could go a long way. They really could. I mean, it will be harder next year anyway because Liverpool and Chelsea will surely improve next season. Villa will have a whole season under Emery. Spurs will probably be better under a new manager. You know, Newcastle will continue to invest more money. It's never going to... I mean, I, I, I'm desperate for us to get to Europe this year because I think we may not get a better chance. And 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 and, and it's similar for Man United. You know, I think if it, so much for them will depend upon who owns the club. Um, and 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 whether they're in the Champions League, um, yeah. I feel mar- marginally more confident about them being in the Champions League, but it's not it's not huge confidence. I think we all, I think we might limp over the line given the the injuries we've got. But um, but yeah, I think so much will then just turn on you know who who's owning the club and what the transfer budget is, and then the, but that probably makes it difficult for Arsenal as well next season. You know, it's all, uh, unusual to, to, to think that, given what an amazing season they've had. But it might be a bit of now or never for them because so many of those yeah. clubs will be spending big and Chelsea, surely, you know, if they can, they'll have to get rid of players because they can't have a squad of 30. But, you know, there's enough quality players there. And with then Kunku coming next season, they've got a goal scorer coming. So they're, they're, <laughs> if they get the right coach, they'll get it right. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, we we played them Saturday and they were dreadful, to be honest. I mean, they just didn't really look... They look like a lot of very expensive individuals who don't have any idea about how to play together. Um, yeah. But you can't help feeling if you throw enough money at it, eventually they're going to get it right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's you have so much more... Spend so much more than anyone else. Surely you're going to eventually kind of find the right formula somewhere. And I think when Conte was there and they won the league, weren't they? were they not in Europe that year? Yeah, so it could be an advantage for them next season. I actually think Liverpool would be better off not getting to Europe as well. So, listen out, Liverpool, don't overtake us. It might co- well, it's going to cost them Jude Bellingham, I think, now. That might have made a difference to their... I don't think he'll come even if they're in Europa League or in Champions League or nothing, really, know, probably. Yeah, Champions League I might have done because the budgetary considerations are different then, aren't they? But Yeah, although they're not a team spending that either. sort of huge money, like the £100 million plus that they would need to. Hmm. They've never got really that close. They've got, like, Nunes is about as close as they've got to that. Yeah. Yeah, fascinating times. Well, we've got the big game. It's Sunday. I presume you're going, Sanjay, to the game. I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you got you got a season ticket as well? Have you United? I've got a season ticket at United. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, I also have some seats in Club Wembley, and uh, I quite regularly get invited into the Raw Box. So I'm going in the Raw Box for that. So I'll probably be there. Oh, wow. I'll go and say hello to Paul Barber. <laughs> All right, that might be. I'll only talk to him before the match. <laughs> I won't talk to him. I to him after the match. <laughs> so we might see you then on TV. I'm in the background there. No, I mean, if it goes like that, I'll probably be right at the back. Don't worry, oh, okay. no, you won't see me. I mean, for the Papa John's, I was sat next to Sam Allardyce. So on 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 the highlights, they caught me looking at my phone. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> my wife said that was my typical pose. Um, <laughs> I did I mean, say, well, I was te- I was texting you. So. Yeah. Uh, it's probably true of most people nowadays, isn't it, really? Yeah. Well, OK, well, we've got, we've got a big game. So we, we think it's going to be a close game. I mean, I, I'm going to say 2-1 to us. Um, I always get the score wrong. So that's the, the one and only score you can now guarantee. Do not put a bet on that, anybody, because uh, that's guaranteed not to be the score now. Uh, Peter, do you, have you got a score, you think? I'm going to say 3-2 either way. I think there'll be goals because 
Hmm. Both teams, I mean, we're struggling a little bit at the back recently. We conceded a few, although actually our record this year hasn't been too bad, but we do kind of give away chances and your attacking options are really good, but your defensive options are, are limited and we're good going forward. So I think, yeah, I think I can see it being 3-2 either way. Yeah. And Sanjay? I'm not commit to which one. Have you got any specific score in mind? I know you said tight game, but... Of course I'm going to be supporting United and hoping that we win. If you ask me in my head, I'll... I'm kind of feeling, thinking it will be two-two, and Brighton will win on penalties. Uh, Not sure I could take that. stressful. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough game for us. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us, Sanjay. I don't know if um, if there's anything you wanted to throw out in terms of social media or um, things you wanted to advertise related to what you're doing. Is, is there anything in terms of contacts uh, for anyone listening or wanted to get in touch over anything? Uh, well, um, you can follow me at Sanjay Kick It Out, or you can follow our, our social media at Kick It Out. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, report any incidents of discrimination, download the app and you can have a look on there. And there's easy ways to report. Obviously, if you if you're seeing something in the ground, go and talk to a steward, but not rather than through the app. But um, but sometimes people feel more comfortable talking about something after the event, and that that's fine as well. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm also um, I will engage with people if they're nice and they're polite and they and they want to chat football. Uh, if you beat us and uh, you go, I'm, well, I'm never one of those people who gives other people abuse after we win. <laughs> so whenever anyone does it to me, I just ignore it. <laughs> just so you know. Even more so when it's another chance for the other one to win a couple of weeks later as well. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. never works out, does it? If it's Sheldon Freud are too early, yeah, never works. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Really, really pleased to have you on. We'll have you back again at some point as well, maybe for a preview for another Man U game. Um, I hope you are feeling the need to avoid Paul Barber at the end of the game on Sunday <laughs> in terms of gloating or banter. Yeah, not in terms of VAR again. Yes. That's, I mean, yeah, that's well, my yeah. real hope. That I mean, I can take losing if you're the better team or even if we just a bit unlucky, but the idea of losing like we did in the Tottenham game was just oh. soul-destroying. So, yeah, you know... Yeah, yeah. I'd rather lose deservedly and you, you guys just be better on the day. I don't want to lose because of VAR. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Sanji. Thank you very much for joining us and speak to you soon. Cheers. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks there to Sanjay from Kick It Out, Man United fan. Hopefully he won't be happy on Sunday evening. We'll find out, of course, in due course. Only just a couple more days to go, Peter, until the game as we're speaking here on Friday evening. Can't tell you how excited I am. I'm like a kid at Christmas. You'd I say? know. It's, it's, yeah, it just feels different this time. We have, a, we have a chance. I'm not saying I don't necessarily think we're favourites. I actually do think it's... I'm slightly more nervous after last night because of the way they played and because... They, yeah, I was kind of hoping that they get through after a really tough, like, 120 minutes and then their minds might be on other things, focusing on that and the league as well, whereas, yeah, they'll be more kind of keen to make it up then now. So yeah. We yeah. were hoping that stinker was on Sunday. Yeah, so but, Maybe yeah, I, 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 there's no reason why we can't do it. We've been playing brilliantly recently and, yeah, if we if we hit, if our attacking players hit more, it's going to be key, it's going to be taking our chances. Yeah. Um, you know, if we get the chances, like Chelsea, we were... Pretty wasteful, in all honesty. It took an absolutely incredible goal from Intiso to, you know, give us the win. 
but we should have taken our chances. McAllister missed a really good chance first half. Um, Ferguson was very unlucky with the one that hit the bar. Um, but there were other chances as well, you know. And Cito arguably should have done better with the one that hit the post, mm. having got into the he had done. Welbeck should have done, probably done a bit more with the rebound. You know, we've we had a lot of a lot of opportunities, and you know, we had twenty six shots. But we need to be like remember, you know, focus on making sure of making the most of the final ball. Mitoma arguably after that run should have done more with the, the shot as well, or even passed yeah. it to someone. Yeah, so, yeah, point. we we need to make sure that we when we get the chances we take them because United are very dangerous going forward, whoever they play in their front three. Um, you know, Anthony's hitting form. Fernandez, uh, Bruno Fernandez, obviously you know, very good, although he's not a particularly likable player. Rashford, if he's available, is on been on brilliant form this season. So we need to, yeah, we need to make sure we take our chances. Yeah, the ir- irritation is that Ericsson's back. Um, obviously, Casemiro's uh, was out for a few games, but not for this one. And yeah. um, as you said, Bruno, who is the most detestable player, I, I can't stand the bloke. Um, really, Bruno Fernandez, but. On his day, he's a very good player, and of course, he can he can score as well. So they have got a good midfield. We are strong in midfield as well, and that's yeah. maybe where the battle will be won and lost to some degree. But on matters of luck, and on matters of VAR, and on matters of clinical finishing, uh, these things will also be decided. It'll be interesting to see what happens. Who plays where? I mean, my feeling is probably with it, even if Veltman and uh, and Ferguson were to be somehow fit or even close to fitness, they would probably start with the team that finished the first half, probably. But I wouldn't you know, guarantee that with Deserby. Who knows? But I thought Grosch was excellent at right-back when he moved back, whereas Veltman struggled a bit against Madrid. Yep. We don't seem to have a problem performing in big stadium, stadia and no. um, you know on the big stage in general. Um, we've got two or three, probably, I'd imagine, in the, in the team or the squad who were in the, the game four years ago as well. So even literally the, uh, the same occasion of, of yeah. type um, would be there, Dunk, obviously, amongst them. Um, so I don't see that being a problem as such. I don't think we'll freeze. It's just a matter of whether we can really just make the best of what we, what we yeah, can do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we, yeah, in, in there are, you know, so many games, Tottenham's an exception, obviously we... We were. It wasn't. We didn't take our chances. We were just weren't given the chance to really. Yeah. Um, but certainly at Chelsea, to a degree against Brentford, even though we scored three, you know, we we just didn't take the chances the way we did, and we you know we almost paid for it against Chelsea. We did effectively against Brentford, although we did draw in the end, you know. So Fulham, obviously, we didn't take our chances. Palace, despite the the aberration for the referee, we didn't uh, away. We didn't take our chances. So if we can do that, then you know we we know we'll create chances. With, you know, the, with players like Matoma, March, and Cesar, so if he starts, you know, we've got the chances. You know, we've got the players to create stuff. It's a matter of taking them. Yeah, and we've got obviously we've got Gakpo as well now, according to the Chelsea scoreboard. So we've got him in our locker too, which is great. <laughs> um, just to round off, surprise package of the season. <laughs> Yeah, that was a really big surprise. That was, um, especially to Gakpo, who suddenly like suddenly appears at Stamford Bridge. We're thinking if Gakpo's scores were on the pitch and that's yeah. um, oh, it's brilliant. We obviously we've got Dunk in the team. We've got Solly in the team. There was a report that came out this week about homegrown um, percentage, homegrown minutes in the Premier League this season, and lo and behold, we're top of that as well. Apparently, we have twenty five percent. Is the is the figure given here? Next best is Chelsea, twenty three point one, I think. Although it actually says Arsenal, twenty points. Oh yeah, sorry, twenty twenty five, twenty three point one. Yeah, interesting when you consider how much money Chelsea has spent. Well, yeah, that, that is a bit surprising. And then yeah, Arsenal twenty point eight, Palace twenty point five, and then Forest nineteen point two. I don't, I can't imagine there's room for any homegrown players in that squad. And then you've got Leicester, Man United, Spurs, West Ham, Southampton. It's probably mainly Brennan Johnson to be honest. 
Yes, probably, yeah. It just means how bad the rest are, probably. That's all it is. Um, in other news, two more sackings in the EFL. Walsall, who've been on a dreadful run of form, and Port Vale, maybe are kind of have been a mixed bag recently. But In, in the truly, the Peter Marsh word, feels a bit harsh. Feels a bit harsh. Harsh from Marsh. Yeah, so so um, Michael Flynn at Walsall, Daryl Clark at Port Vale have now meant that both of them are longer serving than Roberto De Zerbi. So he is now, De Zerbi, in the top 50 longest serving yeah. managers out of Nigeria. And also hasn't even had a summer, which is the time when you feel most people, you know, kind of come and go. He's not even had a summer in charge yet. So I yeah. think this is just during the season that he's, yeah. Yeah. Utterly ridiculous. Um, I mean, yeah, it feels like uh, Flynn's a funny one at, at, at Walsall because he was so good at Newport, but hasn't seemed to have found somewhere else in the centre really no, settle. I started okay for a short while at Walsall. Yeah, they, they, I think that's why I read they were seventh or something like that around. Hmm. Yeah, before the World Cup sort of thing, and then they just went on a yeah. They've not they've won like one in about seventeen or something. Which yeah, yeah. Um, well, the longest server, Simon Weaver, of course, that's a slightly disingenuous one because he was, wasn't was a football league manager with them for a while. He's at Harrogate. Mm. They got a resounding 3-0 win after a, a number of draws in recent weeks. Six points clear. Looks like they might be safe and we'll have to do that next year in our 92. Isn't his dad the chairman as well? So His dad is the like... chairman, which does help, yes. Yeah. So that almost means it doesn't count, doesn't it? What, what's the key to your longest serving brain? Yeah. Well, I just hope my dad is the chairman, really. It's, kind of, he has it's a tough well. conversation for him to get sacked, isn't it? It would be, yeah. I mean, you'd have to be doing particularly badly, and then I guess in the end he'll go, "Well, fair enough, Dad." But no, I think he has been doing well, um, and they've they've gone from strength to strength under that regime. So, yeah. to be honest with you, I think it's fair. But there would have been certain times at certain clubs where the runs that they've been on, they would have, it would, would have been sacked. Yeah, but... they've dropped down quite badly to the point where they weren't too far off relegation zone. But I think it's Hartlepool Crawley this weekend. Exactly, so that's a uh, yeah. very yeah. big game. Hardypool were in, John Askew came in, one of the newer managers as well. A really good run of form. I think seven games unbeaten had dragged them out of trouble, but they've now lost two in a row. Crawley seem to be in some degree of reasonable form now, so that's a massive game, isn't They're it? They're three clear of Hartlepool, I think. I mean, Rochdale are gone, I think, in that yeah, sense. Yeah. And then it's probably between Hartlepool and Crawley. If Crawley were to win tomorrow, I think it's pretty much over for Hartlepool. And it'll only be it's only their second season back up again after promotion. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so I mean, it'll be a big blow for them. But the only good news is for the teams in the uh, going to the national league is that one of Wrexham and Notts County will be going up, and probably both, because because yeah. uh, you know, it's, as much as the playoffs are, as Sandy was saying, are random. You do get a lot more kind of benefit in the playoffs from for, in that division, and also Notts County are significantly better than anyone else. It's not like it's even close. Yeah. You know, it's, often you can be like not too far ahead of other teams in the playoffs, but they are. 25 points better off than everyone else. And they they have spent a bit of money as well. That, I think I can yeah. the radar. Um, Maybe not as much as Wrexham, though. No, but they both deserve to go up just based on, you know, yeah. the status as they are. Congratulations to Leighton Orient. That was a weird one. They finally sealed promotion <laughs> and they had a floodlight failure in their game at Gilliam um, and they were losing 2-0 uh, or they lost 2-0 in the end. Um, but when there was the delay was such that the other result had gone in there, or one of the other results, yeah. I think, Stockport Bradford lost, came I think, Carlisle. They? Bradford lost mm-hmm. and Stockport Carlisle drew, which meant that Lake Orient couldn't be caught by fourth place. So um, they then came onto the pitch for the restart, celebrating promotion. They were jumping around on the pitch just before it re-kicked off. Well, worth mentioning as well that um, second half of the season, Ed Turns has been a crucial part of that. Been playing mm-hmm. very well in their defence. Yeah. So good to see an Albion Loney. We had know, John kind of really Kerr, thriving. 
a while ago, former West Ham legend. His son, yeah. George Walker, has been one of their players of the season in that team as well. We, we really, if, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me to see if it turns back there on loan next season. They just won promotion. Give yeah, them a go in League One. You know, get division to division, don't we? And that's perfect progression yeah. with the same club. They play a good brand of football as far as we understand. So why not? Yeah, that would be good. Lots of other twists and turns. We'll, we'll sum it all up later on in terms of the well, EFL. The, the good news is from, well, from a personal perspective, Barnett are in the playoffs in the, in the National League. And yeah. Worthing are only one win away. Exactly. Same as saw them midweek. Wrexham's auto in the in the national is one win away from two games remaining. And um, Worthing's is, yeah, they just need one win from, I think it's... Two or three, is it three well, games? Yeah, three games left, yeah. Yeah. So, so they I could would... even make the higher ends of the playoffs, like fourth or third or something like that, even if they were, if they won them all. Yeah, they can do. It's all quite tight now. So you've got Dartford, Oxford City. I think it's Chelmsford. Um, Chelmsford, and, yeah. And Wintry then there's can be fought by Eastbourne as well. So you could have yeah. a Sussex Derby or, or even a Sussex final. Who knows? That's probably unlikely. But um, yeah, congratulations to Worthing on nearly being there. I went to the game on Tuesday at Farnborough and um, a 1-0 win. It was uh, Ollie Pierce again, who's my, who's scored more than 100 goals now for the club. So uh, he's, he's been the yeah. They haven't gone up and lost their top scorer to Havens as well uh, yeah. you know, during the season. It's a real achievement. I mean, it's a. I don't necessarily think Worthing want to go up at the moment. It's a bit early, possibly. But, but what achievement if they? What yeah. achievement if they get into the top seven, having just gone up last season? I mean, it's yeah, brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely. And um, final well, note to Adam Hinshelwood and his team. Well, yeah, he's done a superb job. And it, it can't be long before he starts getting mentioned for lower league. You know. The, Second league to national league jobs permanently or whatever sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, we might end up in there at this rate. <laughs> um, well, league one, league two sort of thing, I was thinking potentially. But Earlier on in the pod, we did talk about, um, I, I posed the question, courtesy of Graham Phillips, friend of the show, and Seagulls have a London member, who who came up, come up with a quiz, which we think is correct. Uh, he said that of teams that the Albion have faced away from home, when both we and they were in the, uh, in the football league um, structure, either Football League, Premier League or whatever. Um, we've only apparently failed to win at three grounds. Um, um, I don't know if you've seen these uh, these questions on our WhatsApp group, Peter, so you probably yeah. already know the answer. If anyone is wondering what those answers are, one of them is, of course, Manchester City in the Premier League. Apparently, we've not won there. The others are no longer, and very much no longer, uh, league clubs. It's Macclesfield, who dropped out of the league a couple of years ago, I think. We barely ever played them anyway. And probably the same applies to the other one, which is Workington. So there we go. Well, at least that's the answers we think are correct <laughs> for anyone that's still wondering. That rounds it up for this episode, Peter. Any other news your end? Oh, you were mentioning Just... Pascal Gross has got a new contract. Thumbs yeah. up to that one. Great and news, yeah. A, a little rant as well to Possibly the most, well, I was going to say before we go on to that, Possibly the most under, one of the most underrated Premier League players around. I mean, yeah, he just, any position he plays, he just looks so calm and has he has no pace, but somehow managed to make up for that by being in the right position every time. Yeah. The Pascal pirouettes. Yeah, these yeah. Cruyff turns are just a thing of beauty. I mean, it's, yeah. The yeah guy, it's and his record with goals and assists over his games at Brighton is incredible. So, he, yeah, great news. I mean, really, it's until 2026, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, Deserby said he's basically his most important player. So, yeah, yeah really positive. Yeah, yeah, he's great started every game, hasn't he, for him? Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah a little bit of a rant. <laughs> Premier League, PGM, PG, PGMOL, apologises for the fact that they cocked us up our problems against Spurs. And that, but now we've still been fined £100,000 for that game. So it's like, well, are you going to find your officials who basically screwed up our chances of winning £100,000? Probably not, I imagine. So it's, it's ridiculous that this, 
yeah, they basically kind of admit that they're completely at fault for us losing the game, and yet somehow still manage to find £100,000 for basically one of our one of our assistant managers or assistant coaches being hit over the head, basically, effectively. Yeah. Well, yes, I mean, obviously the PGML haven't fined us since the FA, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, or the Premier League, um, which which is it? The FA probably, isn't it? But anyway. Probably. Um, but it is infuriating that we, we get wound up by understandably by an outrageous set of uh, decisions uh, and all we all we did was got animated on the touchline by all accounts and it seems that in terms of the physical pushing and shoving it by all accounts it sounds like Spurs started that um, as you said some Andrew Cross getting hit over the back of the head and ear uh, by um, by one of theirs um, they got fined as well by the way 100,000 but um, yeah it seems a hefty fine I know this is the the flip side of what we already knew, which was Deserby wasn't going to get a touchline ban because he 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 wasn't um, doing anything himself. But um, the club, just the general lack of control element, is why the club have been yeah. fined. clubs have been fined. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. Anyway, well, that money could be going to better use. Um, but uh, quite honestly, training for referees maybe. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you've got to have one rant, haven't you, Peter? Anyway, we better rant. Yeah, it's a bit of a tame rant, to be fair. It's just. I just find it quite entertaining that they just, yeah, they basically admit incompetence and then like fine us a hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, Peter, I'm going to see you at Box Park, uh, yeah. bright and early, I'm sure, uh, for the big game on Sunday. It's going to be great party atmosphere before and quite honestly afterwards, anyway. Uh, regardless of how well we do, but especially if we win, uh, it's going to be a massive day. Four thirty kickoff, of course. It is going to be raining, as we said, I think, by the looks of it, which is a bit of a shame. But apart from that, I'm looking forward to every other element yeah. of the day. Should be an absolute cracker, shouldn't it? Yeah, can't wait. Just hope, yeah, as I was saying earlier, I hope VAR don't get involved. Yeah, well, unless we want them to, because a blatant penalty hasn't been awarded by the ref, yeah. Uh, VAR did not getting involved was the problem at Spurs. Uh, yeah. I, know what you mean. I know what you mean. Okay, Peter, that's it then until our Ooh. next one. We'll do some uh, recording at the game. Uh, well, probably more to do with the po- box part than the game itself, actually. So that'll be our next episode, a match day special from Wembley. And then hopefully a uh, celebratory post-match kind of... Uh... Yeah, section of the, of the pod. Yeah. alleviated uh, <laughs> podcast. Yep, should be a good one. So until that next episode, Peter, stand or fall. Up the Albion. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.